Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, all theater lovers, both out and proud and on the DL. Welcome back to Broadway Breakdown, a podcast discussing the history and legacy of American theater's most exclusive address, Broadway. This series is called The Big Move, and it is covering shows that had so much success off Broadway, they just had to transfer to the great wide way and try some luck over there. My guest today is a friend of the pod, alum of the pod. Uh, some of you know him, and those of you that love him don't know him. Uh... <laughs> He's a dear good Judy. Uh, please welcome back Robbie Rozell. What a joy to finally have a, just us. Just us, finally. <laughs> John who? So what if it's us? <laughs> only us. That's how that goes, right? Uh, sure. Sure. I'm covering that show at some point. I should probably listen to the score again. God bless. God bless. Um, also, we have to remind me to announce when breaks are going to happen. Yeah. It, it was like a month and a half since I recorded the pod and then we just recorded love valor compassion and i completely forgot to be like break time so just patty it doesn't story. matter because they won't throw in the commercials at that point anyway so uh, well i got well patty's just gonna come in anyway to announce the commercial breaks <laughs> yeah i'm very proud that i've now made her my my break i'm sure uh, she'd transition. be thrilled to be your ad queen absolutely well she's no longer a member of equity what does she have to complain about precious little precious little uh robbie what musicale are we talking about today we're talking about Hair, the American Tribal Love Rock Musical. Yes. 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 That is how it was marketed. That is what all the posters said. And that is how literally every review referred to it. Most of them rather uh, eye-rollingly. They were like, ugh, the tribal musical. Super condescendingly. But it it is. That's yeah. exactly what it is. So. It is, yeah. Well, we'll talk about the reviews as we continue sure. talking about the show. The reviews are interesting. Something I will say just up front as we talk about the show is – it is so fascinating 
to read about this show's trajectory and then to talk to people who saw it on Broadway and then saw the revival and all this stuff. And like the basic theme I get from people is anyone who saw the previous iteration of hair is less enthused with the next iteration of hair. Mm -hmm. Um, So everyone who saw it at the public was less enthused with it on Broadway. And then everyone who saw the original Broadway production was less enthused with, with the revival. And then anyone who saw the revival was less enthused when it came back a year later from the tour. Right. So it's always, everyone's just always a little bit, uh, it's not as good as the first time. And I'm like, yes, like losing your virginity. Actually, no, I guess the opposite of losing your virginity. It's usually better after the first time. Is it? In my experience. I don't remember. Whoever remembers their first time. <laughs> we all we all block it out. Yeah, um, dreams. Anywho, Robbie, what is your history with hair? What a great question. Thanks for asking. Um, I, I do this for a living. Though. I know. <laughs> and you make threes of dollars. Threes of dollars. <laughs> I go to the movies once every two months because I can afford to now. Hair uh, first came into my life as a cast album. Mm-hmm. Um, my father... Um, listened to a lot of like 70s rock um, a lot of like The Who and Rolling Stones and Grand Punk Railroad all like all those things and hair was sort of in there among that mm-hmm. um, but uh, we don't speak so I never really listened to it mm, it's getting really good three minutes in you're welcome buckle oh, up kids we love the trauma <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and uh, but I used to go when I when I really discovered musicals and cast recordings. Uh, I would go and um, buy like thrift shop ones on vinyl, and Hair was definitely in there. The first time I ever saw part of it um, was in a college uh, or sorry, a high school production. Mm. The high school did scenes from four musicals, and they were get ready: West Side Story, Oklahoma, A Chorus Line, and Hair. Mm. And that is, and it was in like Redneck, Pennsylvania. That was a choices were made left and right, strong and wrong. Um, I mean, although I I appreciate a high school that wants to embrace the culture. That high school really said, what if we just did all public theater shows? Yeah. Um, (laughs) All public theater shows and Oklahoma. And Oklahoma. Um, And so then I was like, this is incredible. You know, so then I started listening to the album a lot. um, And Watch the Milo's Foreman movie. Milo's? Mil- Milo's, Milo's Foreman, yeah. Him. Him. Uh, that, that, that douche. God bless. I, he I tried. He, well, yes. We'll, we'll get to it. I actually have never seen the movie. I've only seen clips of the movie. You've just seen uh, Mrs. Garrett? I've seen Aquarius. I've sure. seen uh, Manchester, England. I've seen The White Boys, Black Boys. I've seen Walking Through Space. And I've seen The End. How, how it ends. Yes. Um, and then I was in a production of Hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, at SUNY Cortland. I did not go to SUNY Cortland, but I was cast. Um, I was Walter. I did not sing Aquarius or What a Piece of Work as Man. I sang in Ain't Got No. In my mind, I have this vision of you with like your spidey senses tingling that a musical is happening somewhere and there's someone ill-equipped for a role. Yeah. And you walked in and you said, I know I don't go here, mm-hmm. but you don't understand. You need me in your musical if Correct. it's going to stay afloat. And the director just looked at you and said, I have a feeling you're right. And just, <laughs> and just brought you in. The director was actually a friend of mine uh, growing up and had directed a lot of theater in my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was getting her master's at SUNY Cortland. And when uh, this was pre-Facebook mm-hmm. or pre- almost pre-internet, but not quite. Uh-huh. Um 
and uh, I heard that she was doing hair, and I said, hey, I want in, and she said, okay, and, like, made space for me, but, the, like, I sang in Dead End. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. eh. Um, and then I went to the opening night of the revival. Oh, lovely. Yeah. That must have been a wonderful evening. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my mother is a huge hair fan. She okay. saw it when she was a teenage. I believe she, I believe 14. She oh. Went, yeah. Huh? Well, so something to talk about with the Broadway production. When she was a teenager, I think 13 or 14, she went to see hair uh, for a birthday party. A girl in her class at Dalton uh, got a group of girls together and they went to go see hair. Well, her and her parents, this girl's parents were like, they were not hippies themselves, but they were very, you know, oh, you know, children should learn and let's embrace the culture. And also when they saw it, hair was the thing to see. Sure. It was officially like. A phenom. Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't even just about, oh, is it appropriate? It's, you know, it was, it just, it was in the zeitgeist. Sure. So my mom had seen it, was obsessed with it, had the cast recording. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, we listened to it a lot. And I knew that there were two, no, there were three CDs that if my mom, if my mom picked me up from school and she was in a pissy mood. I knew there were three CDs I could play that would get her in a better mood by, like, track three. Go. One was Laura Nero, the collected works of Laura Nero, mm-hmm. uh, Stone Soul Picnic, yeah. uh, Stony End, uh, and then one was Tina Turner. It has the, can't stop for a rain, can't my window. And then the third was the original Broadway cast recording of Hair. That includes Melville Moore and Miss Diane Keaton. That is, yeah, yeah we're going to talk about that cast. Mm, it, it, well, and a lot of fun replacements too mm-hmm. but so i had always known hair through the original cast recording yeah to the point that when the 2004 actors fund concert happened yes and that cd came out which i know a lot of people in our like circles love mm-hmm. i couldn't really get into it i thought it was kind of oversung because i was used to kind of the scratchy voices sort of just kind of barely getting the notes out i thought that was a little more authentic and i've now come to a medium with all that, uh-huh. I can appreciate the beautiful vocals of other versions. I still have some issues with that cast record, with that concert recording, and then I missed it in the park. I think oh, I was—that's where I wish I had seen it most. Yeah, I didn't get to see it in the park because of stage door. And then when it transferred, <laughs> I saw it. I was supposed to see it the night before the Tony Awards, mm. and my dumb sister, my bitch sister who I love very dearly, was graduating from college at Williams, so Ugh. I had to go to her graduation. And so I went to see her a week after that with my mom. Mm-hmm. And I had a blast. My mom did not. Oh. She saw Because it. she saw the original production yeah, exactly. when she was 14. Yes. And in her mind, she saw, like, I saw the revival. And I was like, I thought they, like, I'm like, they captured the energy. Mm-hmm. The hair is more about a feeling and, and, you know, vibes than it is about plot, really. So I thought they just were really good at maintaining all that energy. And we walked out. My mom was like, I don't know how to explain it. Just this time they were wearing costumes. And I went, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fair. And then her other complaint was, you know, for a show called Hair, there was almost no body hair from any of the men. It was basically Will Swenson standing alone with chest hair, and that was God it. bless. God bless. Everyone else was shaving and waxing. Like, they had a Merkin budget. They had a Merkin. That's true. Did they? Yes. Why didn't people just grow out? Easier, cheaper. Unclear. Well, because it was built in, the Merkin budget. I guess so. I also fell in love with the music of Hair because every... So I love um, not just cast recordings, but like vocal albums of Broadway mm-hmm. singers or Broadway adjacent singers. Um, <laughs> sure. And they will often record um, 
songs from the show, and sometimes they're excellent, and sometimes they're Andrea McArdle singing Easy to Be Hard. Yeah. Or like Sarah Brightman singing Good Morning Starshine, which was a choice. There are some people who truly can sing anything. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot of people, though. Actually, you know what? I wouldn't mind a Kelly O'Hara solo in Walking Through Space, but the way that Melba Moore does it on the OBC, which is all head voice. Yeah. I don't like it belted. Or like maybe Frank Mills. She would do a nice Frank Mills. Sure. That, like, it would have to be her lighting the piazza penis, like, not her bridges. Greg would walk in playing the guitar softly, <laughs> yeah. and she's just singing Frank Mills. Yeah, like a soft acoustic version. Yeah. But again, I need, the, I need the piazza ping, not the bridges full throat. Kelly, I know you're listening. And uh, Kelly, can you hear me? <laughs> we've just pitched the... Anyway, hair. <laughs> um, yeah, so for anyone who is unaware of hair, well, everyone is aware of hair, but I don't think a lot of people know it well. Sure. Which is fair, because I think a lot of people who've done the show probably don't know it that well. I would agree. How would we describe what it's about? Great question. Um, because hair very much is like the chess of its time in that no two versions are alike. Sure. Um, I also think that it's like working for hippies because it's very much like um, a review. Yeah, it's vignettes. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's like a dozen I Am songs in Act One. Yeah. Um, where everybody steps forward and sings their like central thesis and then sort of recedes. Okay, so Tommy or Tommy. Tommy. Hi, I am a professional. Um <laughs> Hair. Robbie makes money being in the industry. Y'all. Making musical albums. Yeah. So but it's now I'm stuck on this Tommy thing and I don't even know why. It's not like a favorite musical of mine. It's just, just because of that it, one thing. Makes it. You, you get out of here, Tommy, and you don't come back. Tommy, I can't hear you or see you. Or feel you or I don't know what we're doing with Tommy. All right, so go back to your hair. Uh essentially is about Claude Hooper Bukowski mm-hmm. um and a group of friends um who are uh counterculturalist people of the 60s set with the backdrop of the Vietnam War um, in New York and uh, essentially dodging the draft any way they can. Mm -hmm. Um, There's like love triangles within there. There's like all sorts of stuff. And then at the end, spoiler, um, (laughs) Claude gets drafted um, and decides he's going like, he, he feels that that's his duty, unclear as to why he decides to go when so many people dodged. But uh, goes, gets killed. Everybody sings Let the Sun Shine In. Uh, that is the like the nitty-gritty plot. Yeah. The, I would say, like, if there's one major plot thread to Harry, mm-hmm. it is Claude. Yes. It is him getting, getting, his, uh, getting drafted and not burning his card and ultimately choosing to go... And uh, to Vietnam to fight, and he dies at the end. Don't you feel that Claude very much is an outsider um, who's trying to fit in but can't make the leap? Again, because as you said, no ver- no two versions of hair are alike. Mm-hmm. It also depends on the actor and what text is used. Sure. Uh, it's sort of the polar opposite of chess, though, because whereas hair has very little plot, chess just has too much plot. Too much plot, but like ever- the song stack is 
consistently oh, different. Yeah. Um, songs song, are assigned to different people. Yeah, different orders. Uh-huh. And also, like, Chess, very few skips. Uh, yeah. It's a, Hair is an almost no-skip album for me. I think I can name, like, three songs that I don't care for. There's also, like, 115 albums of Hair. Yeah. Well, Hair, I think, was the first Broadway musical to have multiple non-English speaking cast recordings like so close to mm-hmm. the original album coming out yeah because it took time for sure because the way that the cast album history begins right is with Oklahoma there was no original Broadway cast recording before Oklahoma it was like right. highlights sometimes mm-hmm. and, and singers as you said popular singers would cover stuff right and then Oklahoma was the first time of like capturing the cast and the feel from the theater and the orchestra yeah yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And, then, and then selling it and then that sort of progressed and then hair was sort of. I mean, I don't want. So it's hard, it's let's hard to give like a hair. history of hair. Yeah, because it started downtown. Yes. Well, so hair was written by James Rado and Jerome Ragney. Mm-hmm. Yep. As they say both their names, which means it by Galt McDermott. Right. Uh, and all three were on stage, opening the, night yes. of the Broadway production. Yes. Uh, Rado and Ragney were actors who met doing an off-Broadway play called Hang Down Your Head and Die in 1964, which I believe closed on opening, opening night. night. Yep. It was the glory day of its time. Yes. Um, Rado was a bit more of a successful actor than Ragney. He had done a few Broadway shows off-Broadway. Ragney's only Broadway credit was as, like, a knight when Richard Burton did Hamlet. And they, the idea they got for Hair was essentially from their own lives and their friends and their own personal friendship. Like, their the friendship of Claude and Berger who they played in the original production was very much their own friendship, just like very passionate and tumultuous and like a little toxic, uh, which I give them credit for like having the objectivity to recognize that and putting it in the show. Uh, and they had been reading these articles about how kids were getting kicked out of school for having their hair too long. Sure. That's when that was the point of America where boys would start growing their hair long and they would get kicked out because it wasn't at the right length. So they found inspiration from that. And then they got the title from a painting by Jim Dine that was also called Hair. And that was literally just a tuft of hair. They saw it. Uh, they saw the painting and they saw the title. And I'm like, I think that's the title of our show. And they knew it was going to be a musical. Mm-hmm. They knew it was going to be vignettes. And it was also going to be sort of about the war because the Vietnam War had uh, begun by the mid-60s. And they wanted to sort of be in response to that. And they would send out their material to multiple producers. And the... The story differs based on who you ask. Ragney Always. Rado and Ragney are like, we had a typed up manuscript. We don't know what anyone's talking about. Like, we sent out, like, full scripts to people. And then their, their producers were like, I got, like, Chinese food receipts with, like, lyrics on the back of it. They Like, pe- pe- everyone has different stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure it's all true. What's you know? weird is I was just at Panda Express before I got here. <laughs> yeah. And... Aquarius was actually on the back of my receipt. Go fig. So, hmm. Handwritten. Yeah. Well, the, also, <laughs> the other thing is, uh, I was telling someone yesterday as I was continuing my research, like, oh, how's the hair research going? I'm like, half the things I read are just like, I don't, like, who came up with this idea? I don't know. We were all high, man. But what I will give them credit for is Ragney was really 
he was a the term we like to use sometimes in the theater world is shark he was a shark about getting the material out there and getting somebody to produce it Mm -hmm. and he knew joseph papp a bit and papp at this point was just had been just doing the um shakespeare in the park the public theater had not existed yet but he had gotten a grant for the public theater because shakespeare in the park was so successful and they were in the middle of construction for it they went they had the down on lafayette yes down lafayette um was the Morgan Library? No. The Astor Library uh, that they were renovating to become the public theater. Yeah. And it was still under renovation when Pap got the material for hair. And what I will say from the Pap uh, oral history biography mm-hmm. and the oral history of the public theater is everyone admits Joseph Pap had amazing taste. He didn't know jack shit about musicals. And Hare kind of ruined his thinking as an artistic director for the public afterwards. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, because Hare was the first show done at the public. Right. First musical, first show ever. Mm-hmm. And the way that it came about was he got the material and he was like, you know, this looks pretty good. And he like showed it to his wife and his wife's like, this this doesn't mean – like this makes no sense. Yeah. And the lyrics are like, hair, 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 hair. Well, and, and – I mean, the lyrics are the- – Cole Porter wishes he wrote this many list songs. Uh, truly. Yeah. So many lists. Uh, and half of the songs we know from Hair weren't in the public production. And right. had a very different ending. Let the Sunshine In was not in the original version. Um, and basically, Pap told the writers, get yourself... No, so he he got um, the, like, the resident director or somebody who was going to be the resident director for uh, the public mm-hmm. enlisted him to be the director for this. His name was Gerald Friedman. And Friedman read the material and he was like, okay, they need a composer because the music they had was like, you can die in bed. You can live in bed. That's Nothing ever happens in Blaine. <laughs> it was very that. Just home for Purim. Imagine if Aquarius was like, was the music to Nothing Happens in Blaine. Perfect. <laughs> when the moon is in the seventh house, and Jupiter aligns with Mars. But so they were like, you get get yourself a real composer. And I don't know how McDermott was the one they picked. He was a Grammy winner at that point because someone had covered one of his songs. Yeah. But he wasn't. I don't I don't know how they met. Yeah. Um, But. But they did. Thank God. Yeah. Honestly, because the music is what really stands up. 1,000%. And makes you sit up. Like, just from the opening of the album, the minute you you put the needle down on the record, yes, mm-hmm. kids, or you hit play on Spotify, um, mm-hmm. like, it grabs you. Alexa, play. <laughs> right now, everybody do it. Alexa, play Aquarius from Hair. Mm-hmm. You're well, welcome. album. But, you know, that's, <laughs> and what's so crazy is, like, Ragney and Rador of that mm-hmm. movement. Yeah. McDermott was not. Not at all. He was in a suit. So I read uh, Lori Davis's book, Letting Down My Hair, for this pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was in the original cast. She was she sang White Boys. Um, she was not Melba Moore. No. Uh, <laughs> and the... the Was she played... She plays Abraham Lincoln. Though, yes, she? Uh-huh. yes. Yes, yes, yes. So she... Um, the, the book was written... Not long after she had left the show and was very unhappy because, um, like, the building of the show was it for the cast. And then the doing of the show was not – it was a lot like Hamilton Mm -hmm. in that regard. Like, the cast was happy until they weren't. Um, And so it's – there's, like, a bitter tinge to the book. However, um, she loved uh, the composer and – 
said that he was sort of just always smiling, always, mm-hmm. and always in a suit. Yeah. And he had a wife and two, three, four kids. He had four kids. He was also pushing 40 at that point. Yeah. I mean, Ragni and Rado also were over 30 at this point. A hundred percent. And there was a lot of controversy because they both wanted to be in the show. Mm-hmm. And when they were doing it at the public, Friedman was like, absolutely not. You're both too old. And then he eventually acquiesced and let Ragni play Burger, but mm-hmm. he wouldn't let Rado play Claude because he was like, it's so important that Claude come off as young. And James Rado was 33. And with a receding hairline. Yeah. Looked 40. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm about to turn 33. I look like I could be James Rado's son in the photos of James Rado. Like, he he does not look like he's 33. He, he definitely was trying to be the Derek Lena of his day, still playing yeah. high schoolers into his 40s. There's a video of Rado and Ragni singing, I think it's Hair, on the Ed Sullivan show. Mm-hmm. And, like, they look 45, mm-hmm. even though they're a solid 10 years younger than that. But they look 45, especially because everyone else in the cast is 18 to 24. Yeah. So they just, they, were, they stuck out like a sore thumb. And basically off-Broadway at the public, it was just kind of, a total mess because every day Rado and Ragni would come in being like, oh, we found this thing that we wanted to include. And this we were in Tomskin Square Park and we want to include this. And there was no script. And basically Friedman had to create a show from nothing. And everyone in the cast weren't – nobody was an actor really. A couple people were like singers like Melba Moore. Right. But most people were just sort of people that they had found. And everyone was high all the time. Uh, they tell a story about how Paul Jabara, who would sing It's My Conviction, and then went on to write Last Dance and Rachel Lilly. Really? Yeah, the important thing. The important thing. <laughs> uh, and then wrote a bunch of stuff for Fame, too, Paul Jabara, I believe, maybe? No. No? No. He, well, he became a pop record producer. Yeah, right now, but uh-huh. I, I feel like he wrote some more. He was stuff. writing another musical that never got produced as well. Yeah. Um, but he, so he was like 17, 18 when mm-hmm. they did it in the public. And Friedman tells a story in the uh, public pap book about. Like one rehearsal, he just was like so fucking zonked that Friedman like pushed him up against a wall and said, If you come in tomorrow, stoned, you're fired. Because uh, like they couldn't do anything. Right. And uh, again, like uh, Rado wanted to play Claude and kept undermining Friedman. They brought in a choreographer and everyone was, no one, everyone was fighting. Friedman left a week before performances were supposed to start. He's like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And they, and in that time, they Rado fired the actor playing Claude and played Claude. The choreographer took over. All the changes the Friedman made to the script were were reversed, and they played the first performance. It was a disaster. Joe Papp called up Friedman. He's like, "Please come back." Mm-hmm. Friedman comes back and he's like, "Okay, I've got two performances to get this back to where it was." And he said, "The first performance, we did my first act and their second act. I fired Rado, had the young guy play Claude again, and then." The second performance, we did both of my acts, and then we opened the third performance, and we got good reviews and sold out. Um, And the problem was that because it was sold out and was already becoming a movement, there was pressure from Joe Papp to extend it. They were just like, have it keep playing. Mm -hmm. And Pasher Theater, how do you explain that name? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the theater where Passing Strange was in. Correct. um, Runaways. Suffs. No, no. So uh, it, uh, where Fat Ham just played. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. I also saw Bright Room called Day in there. The first, see what I want to see. See what I want to see. First daughter suite. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did that cast album. Thanks. Uh, you're, you're very welcome. Well, I'm a giver. Uh, it, it's a it's like a 250 seat theater. It's uh-huh. in a thrust space. It's fascinating. Yeah, and they they made it very environmental and and whatnot in that in yeah. that theater, and it was a big big hit. Like it caught on immediately, and and Joe Papp was con- convinced that he couldn't. You couldn't move it to a proscenium. Yes, and also convinced that it was Joe Papp also had a disdain for Broadway and commercial theater. Sure, he didn't want it to move. He thought that was not artistic, and 
he has said in retrospect that was wrong. He said what he would have done was he just would have kept it open and take and you know use that money for other stuff. But he's like, I had Hamlet coming in in the in the spring. I couldn't have hair playing. So and they only had like two theaters at the time mm. in the public, so it was yeah. like it couldn't go anywhere. And so a man by the name of Michael Butler, mm-hmm. who was a Chicago businessman and uh, had run for state senate in Illinois and worked for uh, JFK's campaign at one point. He had seen the show on a whim because he had seen the poster and thought he was also a big Native American rights activist. Yes, very much. And that original poster mm-hmm. um, had three actors. It was like a black and white shot yeah. or sort of like a silver tone shot of the three of them. And they are in like Native headdress and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he was so convinced that uh, the show was about Native American rights that he so he went to go see it. And it was not about that, nope. but he loved it anyway mm-hmm. and saw it like six more times. And he called up Joe Papp about wanting to do something with it because he realized that it was a limited run. It wasn't going to go anywhere. And basically, Papp was like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. He's like, if you can raise the money, move it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so they had two options. They could make it go to the Henry Miller Theater, which is now the Stephen Sondheim, <laughs> or they could take it to like some random space that was not for Broadway. Right. So they went to a discotheque called the Cheetah. The Cheetah. And I don't know what you do with the Cheetah, but I know it's not dancing. Nope. Uh, (laughs) It is a very... Have you, like, read about the whole Cheetah experience? No. Okay. And not Rivera, everybody. Uh, It is... It was a discotheque in the West 50s. And apparently a really large space that had a giant platform that I guess used to be for, like, singers or dancers. I feel like Rocky Horror played there as well at one point. It might have. Yeah. Much later, but yeah, Mm -hmm. it might have. But uh, the thinking was people would go to the Cheetah, we know, pay their price of admission. And I think like they upped the price of admission by a dollar. And that dollar would cover the running costs of the cast of hair. Because you would go and you would dance and then the show would begin. And it's like, oh, we have like a free show. And you, you would think like, I have a free show and wild yeah and it was this it had this big platform and and you know whatnot and they basically just, they did the show as they did it uh at the public reconfigured it a bit and it made it interactive and no one gave two shits about it right because they, imagine you're going to for a night out mm-hmm. you're going to a disco and suddenly there's a full ass play happening in yeah. front of you of whether or not you should burn your draft card yeah would you hair no. because that's not what you signed up for and again the this version of hair was not the version that we no. know and love like it ended with and what's and again so fascinating if you read the book the season by william goldman he talks about how when it got to broadway it was, became too standardized and commercial pleasing because the original ending of hair had these like toy uh army tanks mm-hmm. that fought each other and blew each other up there was no song it just ended like that and it was like it was this beautiful metaphor for the sort of stupidity of war because we're basically these were these grown people playing with toys and what does any of it mean he's like and now on broadway it ends with this big feel-good song and which we all know is the iconic let the sunshine hit. right uh but so like imagine going to a discotheque and like aquarius begins and you're like oh she's a bop but then two hours later and it ends with these toy trucks and you're like i just want to dance right this version of hair lasted for all of six weeks and mm-hmm. completely bombed and so then what happened was Michael Butler called up Joseph Papp and he said, hey, can I buy the stage rights from you? Because I would like to make move to Broadway. And Joseph Papp was like, sure, you bombed at the Cheetah. You're going to bomb off Broadway. Go for it. Sold him the rights. And 
literally it was the worst mistake of Joe Papp's career. Uh-huh. And everyone says, this is why I bring it back up to the why hair influenced Joe Papp forever. Everyone who was on the board of the public during Joe Papp's reign said him selling the rights and hair becoming what it was because mm-hmm. the public got like a minor percentage. I was going to ask you if they got they like, got something anything. They it's got not something. like chorus line. Money. No, not chorus line, yeah, not yeah. Hamilton stuff. Like no, it, they got something, but it's very minor. Mm-hmm. And because of that, all Broadway transfers from the public from there on out, like the negotiations were intense because Pat made sure that the public got something from right. it. Uh, but everyone said after that, Pap's view of what to pick for seasons at the public changed forever. Because then he was like, is this something that could transfer? Which was never something he thought about before. So like with um, Two Gentlemen of Verona, also with Galt McDermott, mm-hmm. he let them develop because he thought to himself, this could be another hair. This could be another crowd pleaser. And it was a crowd pleaser. It was not the institution that hair was, obviously. Certainly won a Tony. It won a Tony over finally. So uh-huh. Everyone loves to talk about that. But it ran for almost two years. It toured and made the money. Uh, but, like, a lot of people, when it transferred from the Delacorte, were like, why? Like, this was so nice. Like, let it be. And he was yeah. like, no. no. He's like, it, it can transfer. And this and it was, you know, two years after Hair, so it tells you something. And a lot of other things that were at the public transferred in the 70s. Chorus Line, obviously, that championship season. Uh, plenty. Well, Plenty was in the 80s. But, like, everyone talks about how – and Pirates of Penzance and Mr. Mm-hmm. Never Drood. Yeah. People talk about how, like, Pap was so gun-ho about moving Drood, even though no one thought it was Broadway-ready. Mm-hmm. And that was part of his mentality of, like, what can go to Broadway? What can go to Broadway? Right. What's going to pay for things? Exactly. Yeah. Which, like, like Chorus Line did. Uh, but Butler – Bought the rights mm-hmm. and had three months to overhaul hair. So he fired Friedman, the original director. He brought on Tom O'Horgan, mm-hmm. who at that point was only known for downtown experimental work at La Mama. And they fired the original design team, which included Ming Cho Lee, which I would love to have known what that set looked like. Truly, yeah. Um, and Rob- brought on Robin Wagner. Yeah, which yep. was one of his first yeah. gigs, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fioni V. Aldridge was the sure. costume designer. No, she was the original costume designer. Uh, I don't know who did this costumes for Broadway. And had a majority new cast a couple people from off broadway melba moore shelly plimpton paul jabara jerome ragney was burger again but jill o'hara the original sheila uh jill o'hara the original sheila uh was replaced by lynn kellogg yep of the kellogg fortune seriously yeah she's the daughter of god bless (laughs) Uh uh-huh and we and we bring in diane keaton Mm -hmm. uh shelly plimpton who is martha's mother yep 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 the the completely overhauled yep. dozen new songs made it much and cut down a lot of the book made mm-hmm. it much more just truly vignettes yeah and everyone who saw hair on broadway after seeing it off broadway w- were underwhelmed mm-hmm. everyone but clive barnes who was just so happy we had a rock musical yeah but everybody else was like ah oh, the magic is gone the authenticity is gone <laughs> um but we will discuss that in a second because robbie i think it's time we take a break It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. And we're back. Uh, 
do you know, Robbie, what the musical's uh, hair was up against for at the Tonys that year? I do know that it was up against 1776, mm-hmm. which won. Yes. Um, oh, God. What were the other musicals that year? 69. Speaking of Jill O'Hara. Oh, Promises, Promises, of mm-hmm. course. Of course. Of course. And then a Candor and Ebb musicale. The Happy Time? No. Uh, a little later than that. Oh, fuck. No, I don't. Life is what you do. Until you're dead. Yeah. Zorba. Zorba. Right, of course, because yeah. uh, watching the Tony performance of this, mm-hmm. um, and at the end, like, Zero Mustel comes out, and there's, like, the massive thing of marquees, and Zorba's up there. Yeah. Yeah. Zorba opened the tele- telecast, and Hair closed out the telecast. Nine minutes. Yeah. Oh, they got, yeah, they got a long performance. Yeah. And, wow, they could never do that number on the Tonys now. Nope. The, the, what they did three five zero zero among other things yes. is and what then I'm they wanted to let the sunshine in, but uh, blood a piece of work as man is in there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at that point, uh, oh God, what's her name? She was in falsettos originally. She played the doctor, uh, Janet Metz or no. Heather McRae. Heather McRae. Yeah, uh-huh. Heather McRae was Gordon's Sheila. daughter. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Sheila McRae was. Uh, the no, sorry, no, Sheila. Um, Heather, Heather McRae uh-huh. was the Sheila that performed on the Tonys that year. So I want to know when What a Piece of Work is Man became two women. I'm not sure. Because it is not written that way. No. Um, and it's Hair is one of those shows where anybody who's not a principal, um, the character is named after that, yeah. the, the, the original cast member. So you're like, I'm Walter. And it's just like a guy whose name was Walter. Um yeah. And, like, Smokey Joe's Cafe is the same way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even though it makes no sense or purpose. Um, purpose? I, it's just, I barely know her. Uh, it just makes no, it, it It was an odd, it was gorgeous, gorgeously sung. Uh, and Melba Moore gave it. She ate, as the kids say. That, and Melba Moore mm-hmm. eats that album. I mm-hmm. God, are her vocals. She's doing the heavy lifting of uh, all the vocals. Percent. Yeah. Um, I don't, so, again, that kind of goes into, everyone was like, so high and everyone takes credit for everything so like friedman takes credit for making the show make any kind of sense and then mm-hmm. morgan takes a lot of credit for making it more like broadway ready and, and yeah and theatrical but then cast members will take credit for different ideas and you know ragney and rado were always coming in with new text and mcdermott had to come up with new music on the spot and so just no, there's no real paper trail of who did what or what became mm-hmm. what Melba Moore says in um, has a quote in the book I have here, which is Broadway musicals, the 101 greatest Broadway musicals. Revised and updated. Yup, yup, yup. Uh, her quote is, on a show like Hair, you were considered professional if you showed up. Mm-hmm. So, like, you showed up and who knows what happened on the day. During the be-in and then during uh, walking through space, everyone's supposed to be smoking pot. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be stage pot because you can't be high when you're doing a show. But Melba talked about how, like, there were nights where someone was passing around real weed and you didn't know until you got to let the sunshine in. And you're, like, doing let the sunshine and you're, like, fuck, I'm flipping out. So high. And she's, like, got a belt and ash. She's, like, motherfucker. Uh And Michael Butler was bringing in uh, Dr. Feelgood Mm -hmm. to shoot them up. Before the show, yeah, every night, yep. A lot. Of, so we were mentioning this before. A lot of people in the original production of Hair 
were high. High. And also don't didn't have a lot of nice things to say about the experience. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned, baby Diane Keaton was in it. And she was pretty miserable most of the show. And what I've read is she was the best Sheila that there ever was. Yes. she was. So she was the second Sheila. Lynn Kellogg was the first. Mm-hmm. And then, but then she's like, I got to go make cornflakes. Yeah. she Well, she was in it for three months. Right. He's the fuck out. <laughs> the show opened in April. And that's another thing, by the way. So the show opened in April of 68, but was uh, up for the 69 Tonys. And what happened was, was uh, the Tony cutoff was supposed to be, it used to be, I guess, like, it didn't have to necessarily be opening night. You just had to start performances before the cutoff. Mm-hmm. And Hare had two weeks of previews on Broadway, and they started previews a week before the cutoff. Yeah. So they were supposed to be eligible. And then what happened was CBS or NBC, whichever tele- whatever TV station was going to air the show, sure. pressured the Tony committee to move up the deadline a month. So it was March. So Michael Butler for Hare and I think another show sued – because they had they were like misled or whatever, right? And, yeah, and it, got, and it got the case got thrown out, so they ended up just being eligible for the following year. And then if you watch the Tonys that year, no one in the audience takes hair seriously. Like Carol Burnett's listing off the nominees early in the telecast. Uh-huh. She's like we've got four musicals up this year. We got Zorba and Seventy Seven Seven and Hair, and everyone starts to laugh. It's like, can you believe Hair is up for Best Musical? And I'm like, I'm sorry, Hair is the cultural phenomenon that is making these ratings go through the roof. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a reason you put it at the end of the telecast so people would stay tuned in. It is fascinating, too, that in that telecast, when you watch them perform that number, and it goes to a wide shot, and you just see head after head after head of audience members just stuck. Yeah. <laughs> so, Who, like, not as, to be there. as these people are like truly like belting to bleed. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it it's fascinating to see like culture and counterculture coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to make a point and not well. Well, well actually, so this uh, this reminds me. This isn't hair specific, but hair is related to it. If anyone who watches the Tony Awards, if you haven't watched early ceremonies, and I'm talking like pre 2000, mm-hmm. uh, early, like early, but before Radio City Music Hall, really. So before Rosie, which would be 96. Yeah. Well, so like the first three or four telecasts of Radio City Music Hall kind of have this energy, but it gets lost pretty soon. But when it used to be in a Broadway theater mm-hmm. and they couldn't just sell tickets to anybody, right. it was really just like the nominees, mm-hmm. people immediately involved in the show and like the community. Right. You got a really good sense of what shows the community was behind mm-hmm. uh, based on like when they would do their performance, like who, like what, what the entrance applause was for the performance when the nominees were listed and then whoever won. So like when Dorothy Loudon wins for Annie, everyone flips the fuck out. Yeah. Cause like she goes crazy. Yeah. When Tyne Daly wins for gypsy, everyone freaks out when Elizabeth Taylor comes on to give best musical to 42nd street and the audience won't let her begin talking. Cause they're just so everyone's so in love with her. Sure. And then she's like also fucking up left and right. I love it so much. She's also probably as high as the people in uh, hair. Oh yeah. It's allegedly. It's, it's wonderful. I just love that. I just, <laughs> she's giggling the entire time, but it's, it's great. And uh-huh. she's like, she's flippantly telling the mezzanine to stop it. Like they're right up next to her. Like a friend. Cause <laughs> stop they, it. Cause, yeah. Cause they keep cheering. She's like, stop it. It's so great. But it's the same thing. Like, you know, when chorus line was up that year and you know, every mm-hmm. time chorus line wins, everyone goes insane. Yeah. And so for that year with hair, uh, you can tell that like, Everyone in the theater is a little resentful that it's so successful because I don't think anyone in the theater that year is like pleased with it because they they're more everyone was actually really more behind promises promises that year than anything else. If you, again, if you listen to the which applause. is so fascinating because that's not what won. 
no, uh, 1776 wins. Right. And from the sound of the applause, no one's upset by it. But Promises, Promises was sort of like the middle ground of it had a sound similar to Hair. It was new. It mm-hmm. was modern. But it was still yeah. a traditional musical with storytelling and involved people who the community respected, like Neil Simon and Michael Bennett and um, Roger uh, Moore, I think was his name. No, not Roger Moore. Robert Moore. Yeah. That was the director. I was like, Roger, Roger Moore. Moore. 007 directing. <laughs> sure, Promise. why not? Honestly. And, and boys in the band. <laughs> Turkey lurky damn time. Mm-hmm. Um, do, we, do you think that 1776 won because um, it was so America versus hair, mm-hmm. which those same voters would think of as un-American? And I'm using big yeah. hand quotes for listeners. I don't know. So... I, I, I really do think with Hair, it just comes down to nobody respected it. Mm-hmm. I think it got nominated for musical and director almost begrudgingly. If, you know, if Dear World were better, sure. Dear World probably would have been the fourth nominee, not mm-hmm. Hair. Uh, but... Because 1776, it's pro-America, but it's also questioning... The way I kind of describe 1776 is... It came. It's very much a product of its time and how it views the four, uh, the founding fathers, mm-hmm. because it's sort of you know what kind of country are we? What do we want to? What do we want to become? Right. It's, it's pre Watergate, but mid Vietnam War. Yep. So it's it's not totally cynical of government, but it is a little. It's um, it's certainly cynical of war in yeah, Mama Look Sharp. Absolutely, yeah. But in a way that's not in this production. That's closing. <laughs> we don't we don't talk about Bruno, but <laughs> no, it like no, it no. pushes the buttons very lightly. Where it's more sort of like we're just asking the question. Mm-hmm. We're not blaming you. We're not. Yeah, uh, making it's you not an indictment. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more just sort of like, hey, can we like discuss this? And whereas promises, promises is like, look how like evolved we're becoming, like with our mini skirts and our and our go go music. And then hair is just sort of like, no, it's all a mess, and right. we don't have the answers, but we blame you anyway. Yeah. This is my doom, my humiliation. October, not June, and it's summer vacation. Such a disgrace. How can I face the nation? Why should this It's everything that the people who are in those tuxedos do not enjoy. Yeah. Is is what I'm saying. And so did they vote for 1776 because that is what they see as their version of yeah. progress? I I think I think the voters probably voted for 1776 for a number of reasons. One is the progress, one is that it is legit a good musical. Yeah. And also 1776 I think came Later in the season, mm-hmm. I think the order goes: Hair, Zorba promises seventeen seventy six. Yeah, so that had the benefit of being newer, sure, everyone fresh in everybody's minds, and also it had the element of surprise because everyone thought that thing was going to bomb. Mm-hmm. the The joke of seventeen seventy six is why go see it? You know how it's going to end, right? And then the magic of that show is like you get to the middle of it and you're like, I'm not so sure. You know you're how like, it's going to end. Oh shit! Yeah, like yeah. oh fuck, is it gonna like? Are they gonna sign it? Like we're getting close to the end, and they haven't signed it yet. Peter Stone, you wrote a great book. He wrote a great book. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 
so it's a lot of that. And I think with the Americana stuff, it's it was like the right amount of uh, indictment, not too yeah. not too uh, forward thinking, but just enough. Hair, I really do think, is just comes down to no one took it seriously. So Tom O'Horgan takes over, mm-hmm. and he's slashing things left and right, and they recast, etc. Um, <laughs> Bring the writers back in as the leads. Yes. Um, wig them. Yeah, wig them hard. Did you know that the show on Broadway opened with um, Claude sitting cross-legged on the lip of the stage? When the doors opened to the theater, mm-hmm. he was sitting there, and some cast members were, like, wandering the audience and, mm-hmm. like, interacting, etc., and then somebody brings in a grill. Um, I literally just read about this because I had no idea, and I've been in the show, uh, <laughs> that somebody brings in, like, a, a burning grill, and there's, like, a music beat, and a burger comes in, cuts a piece of uh, Claude's hair, puts it into the grill, and lights it on fire. And that is how hair begins. Your eyes tell me that you did not know that to be true. I did not know that to be true. I So, again, Laurie Davis's book, Letting Down My Hair, um, like chapter 18, spells out beat by beat everything that happened in the show. Yeah. It is far better than any Wikipedia synopsis ever could be. Um, but I was just agog by that symbolism yeah uh, especially because they'll use that grill later to burn draft cards mm-hmm. etc i just that it's so fascinating to me that is fascinating i mean there's a lot of stuff i read about sort of the original staging of things that went down with it that i'm like cool but why mm-hmm. so like with white boy no yeah. yeah white boys uh melba moore singing lead of course yeah uh it was inspired by diana ross and the Supremes. sure and then what happened was is that as they sang and they started to spread out, you realize that they weren't wearing separate dresses. They, they were, were all in one dress. One big red dress, sparkly mm-hmm. red dress, uh, on top of a, like, I don't want to call it a platform, but like it a It was like a lift. floating, yeah, because apparently they had to add a bar to it mm-hmm. uh, because they were, it was a, it was made out of mesh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so originally they were going supposed to be in high heels. Again, Laurie Davis's book, yeah. shout out. Um so glad I bought it for $3. Uh, <laughs> That's as much as I'm going to make for this episode. Correct. You're welcome. I'm glad I told you to take an ad break. Uh, <laughs> we got to take another one eventually. It was like fucking chicken wire, whatever, yeah. right? And so the heels were getting caught in it. Yeah. And like one wrong move and they all go over yeah. because it's one dress. They add a bar. to. The, they had added plastic to the bottom, but then they were just slipping. So they nixed the heels all together. Mm-hmm. Gone. Plastic stayed over the mesh, mm-hmm. but added a bar to like hold on to yeah. because like they were flown out basically, mm-hmm. and th- they had no safety. No safety whatsoever. That's again, the sixties and hair. Uh, <laughs> and Miss Keaton, Oscar winner Diane Keaton, was mm-hmm. the soloist for Black Boys. You can hear on the cast album. Yeah, and those three women are dressed sort of like I don't know how would you describe it in in stereotypical getup. For like black, like with afro wigs and things like that. Yeah, I yes. Uh, what's fascinating? I watched for the first time today the Encore's production, mm-hmm. uh, which is on um, YouTube. It, it is on the YouTube's. Um, and wow, I did not enjoy it. No, it's messy. Which ironically, it's ironic. It got good reviews and was rumored to go to Broadway. Yeah, well, but there were only four critics. Yes, but. 
it I, part, part of the reason why it was rumored to go to Broadway is because it sold so well. Idina Menzel. She wasn't really famous at that point. She, she had come off of Wicked. No, she hadn't. A Wicked hadn't happened yet. This was 2001. Fuck. This was May of 2001. Right. So she had Rent under her belt. That's it. She had come off of Wild Party and Aida. That was it. So oh, she was like, yeah. she was. You're right. There, there were some cool people on that show, though. Gavin Creel was in the ensemble. Uh-huh. Miriam Shore was doing uh, uh, Air. Air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then, she was great. Oh, she, she was great. Uh, uh, Luther Creek and Tom Plotkin are the two yeah. leads. Yes. Two names you do not hear anymore. No, Plotkin was uh, Willard in Footloose. That was his big one. Yes. And he was one of the Wickersham the brothers. Excuse the girl, yes. <laughs> and Kathleen Marshall did it, did the production of Hair at Encores. It's way too danced. Way too danced. And, like, doesn't have any kind of flow. It's very stop-starty. Yeah. And... I, I truly think the reason why anyone was interested in it moving was, A, Hair had not been on Broadway for over 20 years, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of excitement about seeing it again, right. and because it did sell out the entire run, sure and they're like, oh, there's money to be had, but then they're like, you know, now that we're looking at it, this production really wasn't that special. No. Um, and the, the reason why Hair did come back to Broadway was because Diane Paulus was able to make something of it in the park and then was actually yeah. able to make it even more of something when it moved to Broadway. I remember when, I agree. when they announced it was going to Broadway, <laughs> the thinking everyone had was because, you know, when things transfer, we all imagine it's just going to be exactly like it was and no one's going to reconfigure it for the new space. Right. So I was like, oh, they're just going to put AstroTurf on the on the Hirschfeld stage and call it a day. That's going to look lame. And then when everyone went into the theater and there was like a truck on stage uh-huh. and carpets and the all that stuff, I was like, oh, Three thought. I'm like, yeah, like when they put Fun Home in the round, and it's like, oh, it's not the same design. <laughs> the the original production had a truck on stage oh, for the it? band. Yeah, that's fun. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah, um, and uh, the the composer played piano in that mm-hmm. in the original pit. As yes, I said, did. they were all on stage uh, on opening night. Twer, twer. So opening, opening night of hair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, April, what is it? It's April 29th of 1968 at the Biltmore, now the Samuel Friedman that uh, Manhattan Theater Club owns. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So anytime you go see a play at the Friedman, if you saw Cost of Living or if you go to see The Collaboration, or, sure. if, you, or if you saw, you know, Little Foxes with Laura Linney. And sure Peter did. Said, yep. Yep. I did too. In just the correct. Know, just know, that's where Diane Keaton sang Easy to Be Hard. And eventually Melba Moore. Especially people who care about strangers who say So if you if you do read the season by William Goldman, which is like the bitchiest of books, I love it. It really so, is. He's so bitchy. Uh, he talks about hair. You know, it's very like ugh, the Broadway version, whatever. It was all about when it was downtown. Fuck that. And one thing he talks about because I guess they didn't do it. Uh, no, they didn't do it for off Broadway. There was no nudity off Broadway. Right. That was added for Broadway. Correct. And everyone assumes that it was a publicity stunt. And what it really was was Ragney and Rado had gone to a protest in Central Park, mm-hmm. and people were taking men were taking off their clothes in protest. Yeah, I'm not sure what statement that makes, but whatever. I'm not bound by corporations and their clothes, man. 
Get these Levi's off of me. No. You want, I'll prove that nothing comes between me and my Calvins. But so, <laughs> Ragni and Rado come into rehearsal and they're like, nudity. Yeah. Done. We want to do it. So they, apparently they discussed it once mm-hmm. and then it was never talked about again. And then in the first preview, three of them just stood up naked mm-hmm. during that number. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of other cast members were like, what? What's, what's happening right now? Yeah. Because they never discussed it. And then slowly more and more of them, because it was always optional. Yeah. Um, they, so the the, the uh, word is that eventually producers started offering cast members more money if they $1. did it. $1.50. Yep. And some cast members said, I, there's one person who's quoted in the PAP book. She was like, I will do it for free because getting naked for that little money makes me feel like a whore. Yeah. That's probably Lori Davis, actually. Probably. <laughs> probably. And not everyone did it. Keaton never did it. Right. Um, she, Which she, she, she did it years later, and something's got to give. Sure did. Her only nude scene. But she ha- she suffered from bulimia at that time, and so had major body dysmorphia. So, like, I'm, I'm sure in her mind, if we are similar in any way, she's thinking to herself, no one wants to see my naked body, and I'm not comfortable with it anyway. And you look at Diane Keaton at that time, and I'm like, girl, they would have lined up around the block to see Truly. Naked. You are stunning. But also... <laughs> It's fascinating that she was in hair and is probably the most covered up human in all of Hollywood. One thousand percent. Like, Always turtlenecks. Gloves, hats, yep. turtleneck like every she's just eyes. She doesn't wear yeah, eyes and <laughs> eyes and teeth. She doesn't wear she doesn't show skin ever. No. But she she was in hair for almost a year and then pieced out, I think around like January of sixty nine to do play it against Sam. Uh, which was, ended up being a great career move because she got yep. a Tony nomination that same year. The year the hair was nominated, she had got a Tony nomination herself for that play, got to be in the movie version of that play, and that also got her The Godfather. And the rest is Oscar-winning history. And also, like, Played Against Sam was Woody Allen, which yeah. started, like, a long... Collaboration for yeah. her. Yeah, that was a good career move for her. She got to make mm-hmm. a lot of movies because of that. Yeah. Uh, but... Yeah, hair like so. Hair ended up running the longest of any of those shows that season. Yeah, runs for four and a half years. Major uh, cultural moment has multiple national tours, sit down productions in Chicago. Goes to London immediately. They're celebrating it with huge concerts. Mm-hmm. They did uh, one year. They did a huge concert on the Central Park Mall. Mm-hmm. One year, I sent you the album of it. They did a full ass mass at St. John the Divine, where the offertory, again, is 3500. Mm. And that's, uh, how you say, choice. Choice. (laughs) It's all choices. But they're doing, like, songs from hair and also a mass that uh, he has composed. And it's a full-ass service that you can go to Spotify and listen to. It's called Divine Hair. It spawned so many different albums of, like, cut songs. There's a whole album called Disinherited Mm -hmm. that are cut songs from hair by that cast. Um, London had two cast albums originally. Elaine Page is in one of them. She was in cast B. Sure Uh, sure was. (laughs) Pre-Avita. Uh-huh. It's... It went everywhere. Yeah. That if you, if you ever read articles about Elaine Page's casting as Ava Perone in like seventy seven, the thing that everyone likes to say we're like she's not, yeah, she's like uh, she's not inexperienced. She was in Hair, but it's but they don't list her as you know like uh, an obvious choice, right? They're, they're like you know she was in Hair. She did a show, but like it's Hair. Who who, <laughs> who even knows? Who even knows exactly. Yeah. But the thing about Hair that's so interesting is it's one of those Broadway musicals like Fiddler mm-hmm. where it was successful 
everywhere it went. Yes. Which is interesting considering it feels so American. Mm -hmm. But I think because, A, the music is... A bop. A bop. All a bop. And the vibes of hair are relatable all over the world. Yes. Even if it's very specific to its American attributes. But same thing with Fiddler. Like, Fiddler is so specific to Russia of that era, Mm -hmm. but its themes are so universal that it plays everywhere. I mean, the famous story goes when they did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when they went to Japan. And they asked the creators on opening night, does America get this show? Isn't that wild? Yeah, I love it. I said to you off mic, and I'm going to repeat it here for for the pod. All three people listening right now. How dare you? <laughs> Listen. My listenership some is of, solid, okay? Some of these episodes are just just shy of being an audiobook. Yeah, uh, and, <laughs> and, and what? Nothing. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. Um it's uh the what really is great about it is the music is so malleable mm-hmm. that you can almost do anything to it and not kill it. It's like much like casting Chicago. Mm. You can almost do anything. Yeah. And it works. Um, I agree too that um, newer albums that are like prettier mm-hmm. or like better sung and cleaner, I prefer the grit yeah. of that original album to any of them. I'll always prefer the Melbourne More White Boys to anything. And sure, it's like, and it's not even the most. Uh, the arrangements aren't even that extraordinary. It's just it's the energy, it's the authenticity of it. There's also eight musicians mm-hmm. on that album that sound like. 50 they, yeah. they sound so huge and a lot of that is the orchestration specifically the use of trumpet mm-hmm. which is such an interesting instrument to use for, for this show a rock musical yes yeah uh-huh and they use two it's not just a trumpet yeah they have a section <laughs> it's oh my God, i mean the 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 original orchestrations and arrangements mm-hmm. again i i just said like not that exceptional for white boys and i mean that but like it's still so inventive and yeah and wonderful and creative it's the way that it all comes together because so many times the original vocal arrangements are so simple yeah but they're so effective I'm trying to look up and see who wrote the orchestrations, and I wonder if, like, the band just created them. It's entirely possible. Again, it's not credited. Again, one of those things where it's like, I don't know, man, we were all high. The album uh, won the Grammy. Sure did. Yeah. Um, Rightfully so. Can we talk about some of the people who were in later casts on Broadway? Yes, please. Some of the, some of our replacements. <laughs> yeah. Keith Carradine. Yep. Uh, Meatloaf. Yep. Uh, Mr. Loaf to you. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Loaf, if you are nasty. Uh, ben Vereen. Um, who is on the Tony performance. Yes, with Heather McRae. Yeah, uh, who uh, was a replacement. Joe Butler, Robin McNamara, uh, Eddie Rambo. Like, incredible people in this original first run. Mm-hmm. And then a revival. So it closes. Yes. Oh, so I also I want to say, speaking of yeah. Lori Davis, Melba Moore talked about how she got to play Sheila. Uh, she Because she was with it for a while. Yeah. And what happened was it was – I don't know if she was – no, she wasn't a replacement, Sheila. She she got to become an understudy for it. Sure. So what happened was was that uh, Diane went in almost immediately. His catalog was like, I'm off making cereal. Right. And Rice Krispies. Yes, exactly. And when <laughs> and when Diane left, they were auditioning women, and Heather 
gets to do it. And they're auditioning for, I guess, like Heather's understudy. And Lori Davis just says one day, she says very loudly, like, why are you not auditioning black women? Yep. And she says, which I love. And she, and she's, and she points to Melba. She goes, Melba sings, Melba acts. Why not ask Melba? She's like, you've got, you've got this fucking, you know, volcano of a voice here uh-huh. singing three songs. Yeah. She could be Sheila. And so she, uh, Melba auditions and gets to be the Sheila understudy. And again, in hair, you never know when you're on. And <laughs> you're on. <laughs> exactly. And I know in the original cast album, in the li- liner notes, they talk about how Diane was the best Sheila in terms of like the acting and the authenticity, mm-hmm. but that they all said, you haven't lived unless you've heard 22-year-old Melba Moore singing Easy to Be Hard. I mean, and that I do listen to the Jennifer Hudson Easy to Be Hard a mm-hmm. lot because uh, – that is song. It is very song. She she's like I will stay. I will get out my sample gun and put it to the wall. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> um, toot sweet, toot sweet, if you will. Um, yeah, it's just those arrangements are spectacular, and I think the trumpet is probably there because uh, the hard crease in a section, mm-hmm. which is uh, because the trumpet is very much like um has like a sort of revival sound to it in yeah. terms of um uh. I almost said like Christian music, but it's not Christian music. But you know what I mean, um, religious music. Well, so there's so when I was I asked my mom about what was her what lasting impression has she had yeah. that original production, and she said it didn't really feel like Broadway. It felt very rough and mm-hmm. again counterculture. But part of that was the idea that it all kind of felt a little improv, like it, which yeah. obviously it. Some things were, but there was a lot of stuff that was set, right? But it was mm-hmm. a, it was about the feeling that this was all just sort of happening spontaneously. And I think the arrangements help with that because it doesn't sound like we are coming together to think of what sounds most rock. But rather like, we've got eight pieces here today. Like, what, are, like what, what kind of sounds can we make with what we got right. today? Which is very of that culture of like the hippie culture of, I don't know, like we've got X, Y, Z. What kind of soup can we make with this? Found items. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so there is a bit of a randomness to the orchestrations that way, which I, which I think makes it sound so great. Fucking great. It's sort of like hair was sort of built the way Hedwig was built mm-hmm. in that it didn't exist and it started at like nightclubs and whatever, and then became like a phenom, mm-hmm. um, just because. Yeah. Right. The difference between Hair and Hedvig is that we have John Cameron Mitchell, who is like on another level brilliant. Uh huh. And so with him, it was always just like, and I'm not, I'm not telling this to you. I know you know. I'm telling this to the listeners because yes. we have children who listen and don't oh. know this. The, Sorry. Uh, the the years of workshopping Hedvig and all the clubs and whatnot mm-hmm. was basically John meticulously knowing what works, writing new stuff, shaving it down, all this yeah. stuff. Whereas you have Rado and Rado literally and shaving it down, literally shaving it down, <laughs> and then you have Rado and Ragni who just come in and are like, "We found this in the street. Let's make it a song." And McDermott's like, "God damn it, I gotta write another iconic melody right now." He's like, "Oh, what is this lyric? Yep, it's another list." Well, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> a lot of the lyrics. There are some songs in hair and we haven't really talked about a lot of the songs specifically we should we should so like i'll use frank mills as an example Mm -hmm. which is a brilliant use of melody because Mm -hmm. the lyrics don't rhyme it's just a story yeah it's it's a short story it's almost like a sort of a laura nero-y carol kingy little bit folk ballad you know how jody benson always talks about part of your world it's just a monologue set to set to pitch that is Literally Frank Mills, though. It's actually a monologue set to a melody. 100%. I met a boy called Frank Mills on September 12th, right here in front of the Waverly 
last seen with his friend, a drummer he resembles George Harrison of the Beatles, but he wears his hair tied in a small bow at the back. That's the thing about hair is that, like, even though it has aged, mm-hmm. it is it is both aged and ageless. Yeah, I think though there was a time where it came back too soon. So yeah. when the, after the original production closed, like five years later, they were like, "What if?" Mm-hmm. And hair came back for two months because people were like, "Oh, we we've moved past this. Mm-hmm. What is next?" And it would almost be like, "What what year did Falsettos open?" Ninety two. Ninety two say it runs for four years closes and they try to bring it back in 2000 yeah and we're sort of beyond that yeah um and it's not quite or rent no it's it's, it's, it's exactly rent. bringing back yeah. rent yeah which they did they brought rent back so soon after mm-hmm. the Broadway production closed that uh, and it, and everyone was just like the world has changed it was met with a shrug yeah. now in 20 years somebody will bring back rent uh, as the time capsule mm-hmm. of that very specific time, and it will be lauded. Mm-hmm. But you need to, every every show needs a breather, uh huh, and moment to be missed, and then come back with fresh eyes. Which is why that the when the revival of Hair came back mm-hmm. for that summer of love, it didn't do very well it at the St. James. I saw it. I saw that cast too. Um, also, I don't know why they went in that theater. That was a St. James is a very large theater. It's a very high theater. Jude Jansen. Yeah, I guess. That's why. Um, but, yeah, no, so, like, Hair opens in 68 and mm-hmm. it closes in 72. Yep. And 72 to 77, those five years, it's a huge difference in terms of just, like, the culture. A huge shift in politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Watergate talking, has happened. Watergate has happened, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, by 77, the Vietnam War is over. Yeah. Uh, and also, the part of the reason why I feel like they brought it back was because with Hair— there was a feeling that, okay, Broadway has now embraced rock music, mm-hmm. which was something that was eluding it for all of the 60s. Right. He- Hello, Dolly was the last Broadway cast album to go number one on the Billboard charts. Right. That Nothing since then. But Let the Sunshine In, the uh, uh, Aquarius, the mm-hmm. Fifth Dimension version of it, was the number one record. Well, so Hair did sell really well. Millions of copies and, uh-huh. and, and covers of songs from the show which probably one. some producer was like, what if mm-hmm. <laughs> they miss us? Yeah. They well, love us. Well, they so want us back. There was a hope that Hair would usher in an era of rock musicals. Alas. Yes. And and in fact, if you read the season, like one of the last notes of it, or maybe it's either that or the Joe Pat book. I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. But no, it is, it is um, I think it is the season, where someone asks like, do you think that hair is going to change Broadway. And the person in response says very cynically, of course it's going to change Broadway. We're now going to get a bunch of shitty rock musicals, which is always the case. Mm-hmm. And I remember when Hamilton opened and everyone was asking Sondheim, like, do you agree that Hamilton is groundbreaking? And Sondheim was like, it's been on Broadway for three months. Yeah, He's like, you can't say something is groundbreaking until you see the impact it has afterwards. He's like, let's give it a few years to see what it inspires. Mm-hmm. If anything changes with it. Yeah. He's like, I think it's great. I think it does a lot of really interesting stuff. He goes, you can't say groundbreaking until you see the overall impact. And in a way, Hamilton has had an impact, I would argue, often for the negative. Sure. Uh, the number of people who have described the Bruno revival of 1776 as a tryhard Hamilton. 
and I and ironically they are it is connected to hair in the sense of not only just 1776 being the same season as hair but also both being directed by Diane Paulus and, oh yeah and showing you sort of how all that goes we're in the we're in Paulus's flop era but wait do you know the, the other 1776 hair connection mm-hmm Betty Buckley did both. She did. She was the original Martha Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And then she was a singing voice in the movie version. She sings Walking in Space. Yes. Uh, she is lip synced by an Asian actress. She sure is. And that is interesting. Especially if you know Betty's voice. Yeah. It's there. It's uh, it's She's holding those consonants like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. The movie version is I, wild. Yes. I've only seen clips. I'm a big Milos Forman stan. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is a wonderful movie. And mm-hmm. as many people know, Amadeus is in my top three. Sure. Amadeus is probably the best adaptation of films from a stage play. Mm-hmm. Not musical, stage play. Uh, but, you know, Hair is a musical with no real plot. It's more about a vibe. And from what I understand, they tried to really give it a they plot. They really tried to give it a plot. Yeah. And, but also, like, keep the vibe as well. Yeah. But what's great about it is, like, there's Nell Carter. There's Lori Beachman. Mm-hmm. Lori Beachman does a full turn while keeping her eyes on the camera the whole time. Annie Golden's in it, too. Yes. Um, and she – so she withdrew from the revival to go make the film. Part of – we were talking about this with the, with the coming back too soon in the 70s. Yeah. It is the idea that rock musicals did not really happen. We got some musicals that incorporated some of the sound. Like The Wiz had a lot of Motown flavor to it, but yes. it still had Broadway mm-hmm. uh, spice. Chorus line, a lot of that 70s groove, but again, Broadway. Mm-hmm. And hair was like not a Broadway sound. No. It was truly rock. And so it's like, oh, like let's bring it back because no, no, no one has our sound. And everyone loves hair anyway, right? It was such a big hit. It's like, well, yes, we missed the sound, but the show has is not it's out of the moment. dated. And all yeah. the reviews at the time were like, it has shown its age. It's only been five years, but like, my God, is it, you know, no longer of the moment. Mm-hmm. And then it was, you know, 25 years until it finally came back with first Encores and then the Actors Fund. And then right. I don't even, because I don't think the Encores was good enough. No. I think that, and like Kathleen Marshall was not the right person. No. And she was the artistic director of Encores at the time, so it was her hiring herself yeah. to direct and choreograph hair. And my God, did she choreograph it. Um, she sure did. They are hullabalooing. Yeah. They are— <laughs> Well, and, and hair does need movement. Yes. But, and, like, if you watch the video of the nine, of the 09 version, there is movement to it. But the choreography—this th- is why not all choreography is the same. Right. It— it, everything has to adhere to the vibe of the show you're doing. It has to be based in character and storytelling. Mm-hmm. And the vibe of hair is meant to feel like it's all happening on the spot. Right. Nothing is a bit. So you watch the choreography of that Paulus revival and it's like it's choreographed, but yeah. it's not like. And it's organically turn. choreographed. Exactly. It's yeah. not box step, kick, turn, blah, 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 blah. No. And the Kathleen Marshall one looked like, truly looked like. Um, like a TV variety show mm-hmm. was doing like a sixties theme. Yeah. It was nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. But not good nostalgia. And also very clean. Like everyone looks like they're on a so gap ad. Sexy and clean. Yes. Uh-huh. Because everybody's skinny. Yeah. Everybody is wildly skinny and like ripped. Ripped. Yeah. And, but then every so often like a Kevin Cahoon or a, uh, Miriam Shore breakthrough. Yeah. Um, and Miriam Shore is brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, she was better than what she was handed. Yeah. Yeah. The I feel, and I will say, like the Paulus revival, there are also you know 
are skinny, Broadway beautiful. Uh huh. Like, that show, but it also embraced size. Yeah, there were no there there were other sizes as well. I'm what I'm saying is that like I'm not saying I don't want to make it sound like the Paula's version was perfect. Uh, yeah, and like on a pedestal of no. like inclusion of all different uh, body types. There were there were body types that weren't just the Broadway ripped, but right. it is telling that like our three leads were Broadway toned. Uh huh. Uh, like Will and Will Swenson showing a lot of skin, like being with like six pack and the right amount of chest hair. Mm-hmm. And first of all sex on a stick which was helpful but sure like there's a reason why he launched from that production because if he were schlubby looking mm-hmm. i don't think it would have happened for him right um, which is shitty to say but it's honestly just the truth sure uh yeah like i mean there's it, there was a tightness about that revival that i think made it palatable for a lot of modern audiences but it's also the reason why my mom like walked out of the theater and the first thing she said was i don't know they were wearing costumes I also feel like Diane Paulus of that time was vaguely a hippie. Like a, she's still a hippie. Is she? I mean, she's a hippie who's benefited from the system. So I'm sure there's a lot of like cynicism. Mm-hmm. My my takeaway with a lot of people who are rich and successful yeah. and have been for a while is they, especially when their vibe when they got successful was I'm of the people. Yeah. Similar to RuPaul or Ellen DeGeneres. It's like, sure, sure you were once of us, but you uh-huh. have now been rich and successful so long, you're not really of the people anymore. And that's fine. Yeah. But you have to acknowledge that. Like that, the Diane Paulus of hair is the creator of the donkey show. Yes, 1000%. The, the Diane Paulus of Jagged Little Pill is not the creator of the donkey show. No. The Diane Paulus of Jagged Little Pill, 1776. Th- that is the woman who made us Finding Neverland. Yeah. That is the woman who sold her soul to Weinstein. For... She did give us a glitter tornado. Someone asked once, say one nice thing about Finding Neverland. And I said, they made a good use of glitter. Yep. I um, as a longtime listener to the pod. Mm-hmm. I've heard you rail. I have railed Finding Neverland in a way that it should thank me afterwards. Honestly, twinks I, have not been railed as hard as you and Finding Neverland. I feng shuied Finding Neverland's <laughs> guts. I fucked it so hard on this podcast. I have feng shuied Finding Neverland's guts. <laughs> Whoopee. Honey Boo Boo Child, that show has made me into a dumb top. Because I hate it so much, I want to stuff its face into a pillow. You have to promise not to fall in love with me. I, I promise. <laughs> I'm so dead inside these days. Don't even worry. I don't have the capacity to love. Well, I think maybe we should take a break. Let's take a break. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. Welcome back. Um, so we haven't really talked about most of the songs. We did Frank Milch. But sure. um, like, what's a song in hair that... You always gravitate towards. Uh, I love Where Do I Go. Mm. Uh huh. I think it's a stunning. Oh, good. He is eating on the pod. Finally, we so had to do it. It's tradition at this point. Yep. <laughs> but I, I will chew away while you talk. Tradition, which is, of course, the Japanese song from Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I love Where Do I Go. I think the the melody of it's beautiful. The lyrics of it are stunning. I also love all the setting of Shakespeare that mm-hmm. is used through the like the second half of the show. Mm-hmm. Eyes look your last, and what a piece of work is man. Um, Which is that from Hamlet? What a piece of work is man is directly from Hamlet. Yeah. Eyes look your last is Romeo and Juliet, the scene where they're killing themselves, mm-hmm. um, and just that they're happening at all in a show that's essentially like drugs and sex and mm-hmm. free love like Shakespeare suddenly like appearing is um it's like that highbrow metric mm-hmm. that's on uh what is that New York magazine <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. because like it shouldn't be there but it works perfect, especially in the flesh failures. The eyes look your last, mm-hmm. arms take your last embrace. Yeah. I think what it does is there's, I mean, there's this sort of stigma. Well, for I mean, every, every, there's a stigma for everything, right? <laughs> and so we think about, or at least I would say, the audience would go into hair thinking like, oh, these dumb hippies who just get yep. high and don't have thoughts. It's like, oh no, actually, half of them have read Shakespeare. Yeah. Like, the, the, the other thing about these hippies is, and the show kind of mentions this a bit. A lot of them come from like decent homes. Mm-hmm. It's more. It's a lot of the heavy movement were people who benefited from the norm, yeah, and from the man, mm-hmm. and kind of looked and the system and looked around and were like, I don't like any of this. Like, I, I, yes, I benefit, but like, look at it was also a younger generation getting information about the rest of the world and how everything else worked in the world and going like, that's not okay. And like, why right. do I get to live in this comfort? That's weird. And sort of making us taking a stand against uh, the system of America by going against the grain. And so people go into into the theater and they're like, oh, yeah, the dumb hippies. And it's like, well, actually, right. the dumb hippies are quoting Shakespeare. Where do I go? Follow the children. Where do I go? Follow their smiles. Is there an answer in their sweet faces? That tells me why I live and die. Follow the wind song. Follow the thunder. Follow the neon in young lover's eyes down to the gutter. What's really interesting about the score for me, too, is that um, while, like, the Folly score is a lot of pastiche, mm-hmm. this is not pastiche. It is it lives in the lane of like folk, like mm. electric blues is basically a mama's and papa's song. Mm. Um, the, the, um, don't put it down. Best one around mm-hmm. is like a full country Western song. Frank Mills is a folk ballad mm-hmm. that like they all sort of commingle and fell out of this guy's fingers. Right. Mm-hmm. One day fascinating to me that he is so facile in every, style he chooses to write in and um the vocal arranging because the harmonies are tight yeah um not that they're always sung tight well with that original cast yeah yeah (laughs) let's just say uh that cast played um fast and loose with i'm I'm very (laughs) pleased that we have both gavin creel and um will swenson singing going down on record Mm -hmm. because jerome ragney not the best vocalist in the world. Sure. And I love going down. I think that song is a fucking bop. Mm-hmm. This is my doom, my humiliation. Anyway. Yeah. It's very, um, some in some ways it's reminiscent uh, or of uh, it 
inspired like a lot of like spring awakening Mm -hmm. and stuff like that like which is another rock musical Mm -hmm. in its way um it's just the doors the doors that hair has opened (laughs) hair and gia gun opening all the doors it's just they're the only two honestly in human hair uh (laughs) there there are four doors and they are all opened by gia gun and hair and Gia Gunn in a forty foot long, a forty foot, forty inch long wig. Yep. Um, of human hair. She's feeling her oats. Let her feel her oats. Let her feel my oats. Let her feel my oats. Okay, I'm feeling my oats. Ah. <laughs> Subtitles. Let's talk about your listening habits for a second, sure. because do you do you listen to playlists a lot, or do you listen to like shows front to back? I go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I and like I'm a faggot, so like I, I'll go, I'm aware. I know you're aware. You, you're literally <laughs> staring at my bookshelf, but <laughs> that's what I'm staring at. <laughs> but so I like I'll go on the treadmill, uh huh, and I'll listen to pop music, but sometimes I'm like. You know what really does it for me is just like a boppy musical theater score with a structure to it. Sure. So like I will listen to, um, like a hairspray or a Legally Blonde. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'll also do the original chorus line. Sure. I, the opening because it's it, especially especially when I'm when I'm starting on the treadmill and I have to run for a bit. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to begin and then it gets you pumped. I'll also listen to my like recording of In from Carrie because that's just it's four and a half minutes of nonstop energy. I'm well aware. So it's yeah, but like from like if I'm like I got four minutes left, I need to get. Half a mile out in these in these four minutes, I'm like, okay, and here we go. Someday, if I last in long enough, and someday, 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 someday keep those bodies three on. I, I love mean, it. So stupid. So she's, she's gonna sing that in some pumps. Oh my God. My gym teacher also wore pumps. I miss him. And a white and a white power suit. <laughs> <laughs> and I miss them. Um, you know, we all looked like Charlotte M. Was in high school and did what she could do with that insane body with no spine i actually did um mm-hmm. then i got hungry <laughs> and well i got hungry that's why i'm eating so hungry yeah but um an apple <laughs> which like the hair if, if i'm at the gym and i'm listening to hair yeah i honestly probably will listen to it all the way through if i'm not on the treadmill what is your favorite song in the score uh the apple the apple of my eye sure um there's a lot there's one i can't say the title of really can you say Three five zero zero. No, no. What? I'll say it and cut it. Uh, colored spade. Oh yeah. I mean, you, that's the title of it. So I know. You I can say that. I know. I just makes. I it, it always makes me feel uncomfortable. To sure. Say it, I mean, let's. Which is the point? But let's talk about that because, like, a lot of these songs are making points, mm-hmm. and like he swung in on a rope, mm-hmm. uh, and like lands in front of all these white people, and again, like I said, the front half of the score is. I am songs. Well, and I think sodomy comes before that song. Correct. So the whole point of sodomy is it's a, and it's a joke song, but then the whole point of the end of it is like, cause he's listing sodomy, masturbation, blah, blah, blah. While they're all in religious poses. Yeah. And he's saying like, why do these words sound 
nasty is because of the connotations to what they mean. Uh-huh. The words themselves are just words, and the actions themselves are not bad. Right. Um, but, you know, America's a very puritanical country. So, yeah. And then it goes into... And that's of, also a great rhyme, pederasty and nasty. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, into Colored Spade. Yeah. Which is a list song mm-hmm. of all the uh, slurs... The pejoratives, and, yeah. yeah. And and stereotypes of black men. Correct. Um, Shoeshine Boy, things like that. Elevator Operator. And Shoeshine Boy comes back later in uh, Abe, Abe Lincoln. Yeah. So... Yeah. And it's great all, music. Bop, great music. Yep. A bop. Also wonderful arrangements because those trumpets come in at the end. Mm-hmm. They slide in. And similar to Sodomy, it's, you know, it's it's the list. And it's sort of, it's both kind of calling out these words, these these pejoratives. They don't really mean anything. Yeah. They're just attached to stigmas that you put onto me. Right. And if I don't give them any clout, who the fuck cares? It's similar how mm-hmm. we in the queer community, like I literally just did five minutes ago, we take back words for ourselves. Like I, we, I take back the word faggot. Sure. Because if I if I give it less power, anytime mm-hmm. someone throws it at me, I'm like, okay, go fuck yourself. What do I care? Like, mm-hmm. okay, yes, I am a gay man. Anything else? Like, what else you got, bitch? <laughs> Truly. Like what? Truly. Yeah. I'm like, what else is in your wheel? What's in your the, the armory? Like, I don't fucking care. So or, or, do better. Do, do better <laughs> with your vocabulary, baby. How about how do you find? How would you be a little more specific and find something that really hurts my feelings? Like John Mulaney has that bit where he talks about how teenagers are really good at insults because they actually find something specific uh-huh. and they go, "That man's got feminine hips." Stop it! I'm sensitive about that. <laughs> That's sort of me. I do have feminine hips. Yes. Oh, he clearly drinks coffee. His teeth are less white than three weeks ago. I know. Stop it. If there's like one song that I probably listen to the most, uh, I don't. You know what it is? It's on the original cast recording. It is like the very first five songs, like in a row. Aquarius into Donna. Donna into Sodomy. Yeah. Into Colored uh, well, Spade. Um, what is it? It's, I mean, it's, and Manchester. It's, it's Aquarius, Donna, Hashish, Sodomy, oh, hashish. Colored Spades, uh, Colored Spade, Manchester, England. Um, yeah, those first six. Yeah. I, I. It's for me. It's like one big old short story, like one 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 act play. And what's your skip song on the album? Um. Because you're saying, like, I don't skip I'm Black because it goes right into Ain't Got No, which mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with. God, that, can I tell you, as an actor, mm-hmm. the hardest lyrics I've ever oh, had I'm to sure. learn in my life. It's, well, Ain't Got, ain't got No just reprise. They're nonsense. Go, reprise into air. Like that, nonsense, and there's no Like that A-bombs, H-bombs, P-bombs, Q-bombs, Chinese checks, Hindus, vintage, Italianos, Pollocks, Germans, Jews, Jews, ups and downs, and then... Right, and you're like, shit, pop up, pop off, popcorn, popsicle. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's just... You have no skip songs. I don't think I have a skip song. Uh, yeah, no, every fucking song. I'm just like, fuck me. Like, yeah. fuck me sideways. So good. Mm-hmm. Baby Baby is one where, like, that's a long game. Because you have to wait for Lori Davis to come in. 100%. And then it stops being a skip. But, like, the, if you are if you don't know the song mm-hmm. and you're impatient, you listen to the first 40 seconds, you're like, okay. okay. But then she becomes in and then they got the happy birthday, baby, baby, happy birthday to you. Bang. 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 Perfect. Oh, the, you know what it is? The bed. But that's not really so, in the show Interesting. Anymore, 
it it's in some productions and that's what i mean by it's like chess because yeah. it comes it goes <laughs> things you can do in bed um it comes, it's another fucking going. list song right yeah. but this one's about a bed and it's only because they had one that was built for the off-broadway production mm-hmm. where there were two other songs one was called climax and the other one's name is too long and i can't remember it yeah but it's on the off-broadway album and i think it's it's just when they do it. It's a how come? Yeah, and when they did it in the Broadway version, it was covering when Sheila and Claude get together. Yeah, I mean that's what yeah. it was actually written to be. Yeah, but it's also like a it wasn't in the revival. The bed wasn't no. the revival. Yeah, it's not. It's it's a very much, talk about a skip song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the one skip song, and, and it comes right before yeah. Flush Failures, Let the Sunshine In, which so it's sort of like there's that quote on the nanny. Uh, going back to like LP records, and you know they talk about Streisand and Funny Girl all the time, and, mm-hmm. and Fran Drescher says, so "You gotta listen. You gotta get through Henry Street if you want to make it to people." Correct. <laughs> not wrong. Not wrong. <laughs> but you just you know that it, you're in for a bad one when it goes mm, the bed, and yeah. you're like, "Oh God!" <laughs> but everything else, yeah, no skips. Love it so dearly. Yeah, yeah. it's just excellent writing. It's also very interesting to me that these writers wrote a phenomenon Mm -hmm. and never managed to recapture that galt mcdermott got the closest with two gentlemen but that wasn't even a phenomenon that was just popular for a moment yeah uh, a moment yeah and i don't think his score for two gentlemen is nearly as good as here it's not the only one i like is night letter so divine. everybody likes night letter but only when miss renee does it. i mean yes speaking of kathleen marshall but speaking of the park speaking speaking of the park yeah Hair in the park, two gentlemen in the park. God, uh, there, there was just must be something so magical about sitting under the stars mm-hmm. as hair is unfolding. Yeah, as, and I know on opening night, yeah, it rained when they started doing "Let the Sunshine In." And Perfect. Everyone's like, yeah, you couldn't buy a better, you know, symmetry. Diane did a a concert version of the Cape Man in the park. Sure did. That I wish I had seen. I heard it was garbage. Oh, Natasha was the lead. Miss Diaz. Yeah. I know she did it on Broadway. I didn't know she, she did yeah, it no, concert. but she she they bumped her up, and she was the mother. Um, I, was, I I don't know what it was like for the cast. I know I know a few people who saw it who did not care for it. I see, because uh, I know that it was they they reworked it a bit, a lot. Yeah, and the, yeah. and the idea was if this works, we'll go. We're gonna move it. Yeah, like it, hair. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't work. No, same thing. I when they, saw the original production on Broadway, and that definitely did not work. No. So and that had a Bob Crowley set design. Mm. That <laughs> set was something. Yeah, a lot of yeah. His sets are usually something. No, but like everything that you saw on stage mm-hmm. was replicated in a drop, so that it was like you were looking at it from two angles mm-hmm. at the same time, um, and then like <laughs> a, a full scale like relief map of Puerto Rico came in, and she just sat on it singing a lullaby to her two children, yeah, why not? like on full cities and houses listen if alice ripley can feel the shadow orgasms of emily skinner's finger blasts why not this whomst among us hasn't who has not felt the shadow <laughs> orgasms of emily skinner while she's like screaming well they're both screaming yeah. listen i'd be screaming an f2 if i wasn't getting mine i want mine i want mine where is mine <laughs> okay yeah so, so but so, hair yes if someone's doing hair yes what are some things they should keep in mind when they're attacking this material oh that's it. So what I've always found interesting is like the people who do hair mm-hmm. all tend to fall in love with each other very quickly mm-hmm. because they they suddenly cease to be actors and become like the tribe. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there are sleepovers. There are there's like it's almost unhealthy 
<laughs> in a way. Actors being unhealthy, you don't say. Never heard of it. But, like, like they were sleeping over in the theater mm-hmm. at the Biltmore. Like, shit like that. They they were a family, you know. Yeah. It wasn't a job, even though, was... clearly, because they weren't showing up. Yeah. But it it wasn't a job to them. Um, and uh, and then, like, this, the last revival, like, that's what started uh, Broadway for Equality, mm-hmm. where, like, they literally marched on Washington and, like, were very passionate about um, causes that are important to you and I, mm-hmm. the gays. The gays. Um, mm-hmm. It was also the show that made Gavin Creel come out publicly. And good. Yeah. And he did it ever so, drop the Mikey, of just being on the steps of Jonathan Groff. <laughs> Like, who, uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Frankly, one, would watch. Two, um, I don't know if I'd watch. Would I, did, did anybody need flashcards is the question. But good yeah. that he did. Yeah. And, and he led a movement. He did. He, he got, and Rory O'Malley. I mean, he moved me. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> what, he, what I did to Finding Neverland's guts. <laughs> Great. Could happened to me. Um, <laughs> it was in a gym sauna. Subscribe Let's not to talk Matt Complex OnlyFans. Let's not talk about Bub, shall we? Um, it's actually called Only Flans because he bakes on it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, anyway. So, <laughs> God. Um, the yeah. question is, what, what should they keep? Yeah. Um, I would say to not be too pretty with it. It is not a pretty story, and they are not songs to be sung prettily. Yeah. It's more about intention you should do the robbie roselle style uh singing which is um acting ah in that so not singing yeah correct i do have a hit album please stream it um (laughs) but um anytime you go guys if you ever go out in public with robbie roselle and i don't i don't mean like Oh, like going out to like a show. I mean, like literally any place, any place in this world. And you're saying next to Robbie Rizal for more than 30 minutes. How many times will he tell people he has an album? And the truth is it works because you have a good number of streams. I do. So he he does guerrilla marketing. I'm about to hit a million, which is very weird because I'm not um, famous. <laughs> I mean, I got but you yeah. on this podcast. So well, clearly you, you've got to be somebody. I had no time. So I carved out a day. Um, I skipped the piano lesson to be here today. You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, but Dr. Rashad is doing a talk back after. Okay. Anyway, um, it's true. Like Matt and I will go to the old glass house or something. And if somebody will walk by and say something weird and loud, I will just be like, thank you so much for doing my album. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I will also literally grab people's phones and give and make them give me five stars on the podcast. Good. Yeah. Honestly, anything yeah. that works. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, we, we, we do what we gotta do. We deserve. I deserve everything in this world. If you were directing hair, yes. what would you give your actors uh, for preparation? As like, um, here's sort of your vision board. Uh... I would probably find like news reels and whatnot and, and TV segments just to give like a an actual visual to it and yeah obviously photos and things like that. I would um, I don't know like I'm not super boned up on the films of that era. A lot of because like, a lot of the films of the '60s weren't really covering that no. movement. Mm-hmm. But I guess what I w- could say is you know find like three or four films of that decade that were very pivotal for that generation so like bonnie and clyde the graduate yeah and and or and like actually no like giving like a five minute clip of ben-hur from 1959 and then being like and then six years later we have bonnie and clyde the graduate 
Midnight Cowboy. Like, yeah. Imagine X. being yeah. Imagine being mm-hmm. ten years old and having to deal with Ben Hur. Four hours of fucking Charlton Heston's bullshit. Why not? Why not? And Dogs. then finally, like when you're a teenager, like these really huge movies that change everything come into your life and like that affects you in a really specific kind of way mm-hmm. so i yeah i think i would show that and just to give the uh, the impact of uh ever-changing minds and innocence yeah. and expansion but also like with that group in hair sometimes it it feels like there's a little bit of misused energy of the, of the tribe mm-hmm. and that's sort of i think what makes claude's story compelling even if we don't agree with his choice, even if we're not entirely sure why he makes the choice, mm-hmm. he does ultimately make a choice. As one man with a dungeon used to say, I made a, I chose and my world was shaken, so what? The so choi- what? The choice may have been mistaken, but the choosing was not. And uh. that sort of Claude's thing is like, no one in the show makes a choice. No. They're, they're empathetic and they're and they're knowledgeable to an extent and they protest, but yeah. they don't really do anything else. And something that's always sort of nagging Claude, it's why we, we're the only he, – he's the only one we get, like, flashbacks of from his family mm-hmm. of just the constant reminder of what are you even doing? Like, sure, you're against this, but, like, what are you for? And what are you what are you going to do to change anything? Yeah. And ultimately, his answer is to go to war. It may not be the right answer, but it is an answer. And I think that's something to remind the cast of, like, these are a bunch of people who have all the all the feelings and all the right thoughts – but have absolutely no idea what to do with any of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's just that's why I said he feels like an outsider looking in, yeah, and trying to figure out how how to become this. Yeah, especially you know, like Rogers and Hammerstein wrote, "You've got to be carefully taught," right? Um, and so you you behave how you're parents etc teach you and so claude was probably brought up to like you respect the president you respect america Mm -hmm. america first whatever like whatever that was at that time um and so yes you will go to fight for your country just like your dad did in world war ii or you know 100 percent. that is a fascinating dichotomy to um, sort of unravel, especially in a two-hour musical review. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you think hair changed? In terms of theater or the world? Let's let's start micro and say yeah. theater. <laughs> sure. I think hair was another step forward for the concept musical. Uh-huh. Because we had cabaret. Yes. Which was- We had ca- Love Life and then- Yeah, Love Life, Yes. And Lady in the Dark. Well, sure. shows where the concept dictated the the writing. Mm-hmm. So they still had stories. Love Life was you know reviews, but still like right. there were stories. There was there was plot to be followed, but it was dictated by a certain structure that came from an idea. Lady in the Dark only singing during uh, dream sequences, and it's all a dream sequence was come from therapy sessions. Right. Cabaret, you know, songs in limbo, songs in the cabaret, songs in real life, but still a plot. Two different plots. Yeah, like a full ass plot. Yeah. Hair has, like, almost no plot. It's really just the Claude thing, and even that is thin. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, like, Sheila got a shirt, and Burger rips it. Yeah. And, like, and, <laughs> and, like, a lot of other characters have things we learn about them that don't for, come to anything. Right, like, I'm in love with Mick Jagger. Yeah. How nice. But, but, which also kind of 
leans into the idea of you know these kids with a lot of ideas and a lot of poetry that don't do anything with it Mm -hmm. Um, so you know we learn about all these characters and like it's and for what it's like yeah well what's any of it for right so it is that it is a concept in that sense of not a lot happens and it's more about the vibes and the music which leads us into company and follies and and shows like that where it's more about the feeling you like a mood yes it's a mood exactly uh so i and and of course obviously the obviousness of rock music so what do you consider the heir apparent to hair in terms of like musically is it rent <sighs> probably in terms of channeling the sound of that era mm-hmm. into a musical theater score yeah the difference is that rent uses a lot of different genres uh whereas hair I mean, hair uses other genres but i mean like Rent uses also some classical music. It uses some musical theater elements. And mm-hmm. Rent also tries to put all of that into a musical theater structure, whereas right. Hair couldn't give two shits. Right. Um, but yeah, I guess Rent is the closest era parent. I don't think there's really been a show like Hair since in terms of... That worked. That worked, yeah. Uh-huh. In terms of channeling the sound of the moment, not really having much of a musical theater structure, just sort of being a vibe, mm-hmm. um, which is also kind of what makes it evergreen is because there's not much else like it yeah that works uh if i mean if there were 10 other shows like it that came since that that went even further and stronger and bolder and better mm-hmm. hair would not be as you know played today as so it is. what yeah I, I mean that's the next question is why do you think it's endured that all that yeah i think it's endured a because of the music music yeah. I cannot underestimate how important good music is. So wildly listenable. Yeah. And I think in a weird way, because it is a bit of a blank canvas of storytelling, mm-hmm. there's a lot you can project onto it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When when something's not really giving you specifics, it's it's the uh, it's the Bella Swan syndrome of Bella Swan and Twilight is written so blandly mm-hmm. with so little detail about her. Yeah. Every young woman in America who read it could picture herself. 100%. Same thing with, you know, not to drag them too much, but why I'm kind of post Evan Hansen, I've been a little anti-Paskin Paul as I have found their writing to become more general. Mm. The lyrics are not as specific as they used to be. Sure. And so like things like this is me. Like, yeah, of course that became an international phenomenon. It doesn't mean anything. It's, it's, it's tea leave, uh, sorry, uh, tea bag, uh, metaphors, put on a billboard with glitter mm-hmm. and everyone's like ha ha it me and i'm like yes when you say i'm a person with arms and legs and i and i have a mouth mm-hmm. sure you may like you know cut off 0.05 percent of the population but the rest of the world is like yes that's me sure yeah um and there's like a there's there's specificity to the songs but the vibe of hair is still ra- rather general yeah I think, and i think 100%. that helps a lot yeah keeping it malleable you can shape shift it as the times continue why do you think it's survived? I think that cast album, uh, and it having so many hit songs fly out from it, sure. really kept it in the zeitgeist. And also the nude scene for, for how brief it was, whatever, kept people talking about it because like we knew hair probably as the nude musical, even though it was fleeting, right? Yeah. That was like one of the first things we ever heard about when we talked about musicals with anybody. Well, oh, what's this musical hair? Oh, there was a nude scene, mm-hmm. right? And so because that was the first of its kind in that way, it is um, – it and sort of the, the mythos built around it, mm-hmm. uh, that's 
I think what has really kept it afloat. Um, but that 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 cast album being as good as it is is truly what keeps people coming back to it and returning to the well. You're actually really right about the the nude scene because that's always been something that stuck with it. Mm-hmm. There's an episode of Cheers where Woody Harrelson's character is doing a production of Hair, and because he's an aspiring actor now, sure. and he doesn't know really anything about it. And Christy Alley's like, "Oh, like, are you are you nervous about the nude scene?" He's like, "Yeah, sure. Stop, you know, pulling my chain." She's like, "No, I did Hair in college. Like, there's a nude scene." Yeah. And Woody like freaks out. He looks at the script and he sees that it's there. He's like, "Oh God!" And then everybody's all up in arms, like, oh, Kirsty Alley, you went nude in college? She's like, I don't know. I was in hair. It's fine. And yeah. Yeah. And so that's something that's always attached to it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what was so interesting is there was a lot of other shows that had even more nudity than hair. Yes. That never really, I don't know, we don't like really apply it to those shows. Like, I literally just covered Love, Valor, Compassion. And I know at the time, the male nudity in it was like a big thing about it. Sure. But when we talk about that show now, it's not something that's at the forefront of people's minds. No, because it, the, like that barrier had been broken. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> that hymen was broken. The hymen was broken, <laughs> darling. But yeah, I think because Hair was, and Hair wasn't the first show to have nudity on stage, but I think it was the first show to have male nudity. Maybe? Yes. And definitely en masse. Uh huh. In a musical. Yes. In a musical. Yeah. That's like the biggest thing. I remember um, a couple, maybe a decade ago now, I was in London and I saw a, a musical version of Mrs. Henderson Presents. Did you see yeah. that film? I, I saw the film. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is all about nudity. Yeah. Um, and on stage, <laughs> specifically. And um, I didn't know that going in. Yeah. I had not seen the film. Uh, and it was a f- fine musical. Uh, Tracy Bennett, sure. Sure. <laughs> um, it, I, I ju- but I was like, uh, okay. What yeah. what ground are you breaking? None. 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 Yeah. I mean, if it's a part of the story, if it works, then it works. But it, mm-hmm. there's so little I find that's like shocking anymore. So I'm more like, uh, keep me invested in what's going on on right. stage. Don't worry about shocking me. I'll find something shocking because of how it relates to the plot, you know, but or the character. Every review mentioned the nude, the nude scene, and they mentioned Tama Horgan. They rarely talked about the cast. Rarely, yeah. And if they did, they talked about it as a mass. I mean, that happens a lot with these shows where it's ensemble-based and the show itself is so groundbreaking in what it's Mm -hmm. doing. So, like, if you read the original reviews of West Side Story that are rather complimentary, Mm -hmm. no one really talks about the actors all that much. Right. It's sort of like, yeah, like, so-and-so is pretty good. Jerome Robbins did this. Yes. Cheetah gets a couple of mentions, but it's mostly for her dancing. Carol Mm -hmm. Lawrence is, you know, give it a mention, is, like, one of the better singers in the cast, but still not great. (laughs) Um Everyone's just like, it's not about the actors. It's about what the team has done. Right. And that's definitely the vibe with hair as well. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a star vehicle or a star-driven vehicle. Yeah. And it was, like, truly a bunch of noobs. Yeah. Um, some of whom went on to great success, some of whom never did. Truly. Like, merrily. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And But, like, I'm trying to think of, like, another fully ensemble musical where there's not a lead, per se. Mm-hmm. And but hair is like it's the we can talk about it and have at great length, but like um the the average person isn't like oh god Melba Moore am I right mm-hmm. you know yeah um it's just the tribe of mm-hmm. the American tribal love rock musical yeah the, I will say with the revival and I kind of think that points to how our Broadway fandom culture has changed. When I know when the revival came out, it definitely became about like picking out tribe members that people liked. Mm-hmm. 
I remember that was not like Will Swenson definitely like launched from that. That brought Gavin Creel to a new level because he had been away for a while. Same thing with Casey. Ka- Casey Levy, yeah. Um, and then Allison Case, that was like a big thing for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patina, not Patina Miller. Um, but Shaqu- uh, God, what's her face? I mean, Patina did it in the park. She did it in the park. But um, replaced- Sasha Allen. Sasha, Sasha Allen, Allen, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd be, it, people started having, fans of the show started having like their favorite tribe members and their own fandoms. And. I don't but think that's social a, media didn't exist. I don't, I'm, I'm saying it's not. I don't think that's a statement on the revival so much as the statement on where we got to. Yeah, and I wonder if when hair came out, if there, if we had a kind of social media, mm-hmm. if that would have happened, or if I mean there were like hair groupies. Yeah, and I know that some of them like apparently snuck on stage in the nude scene sometimes and stuff. Yeah, well, that, that, there all the audience interaction and sort of the whole go with the vibe. Mm-hmm. flow of it i'm sure it was very easy to do so and whatever and in the revival no one snuck on stage to get nude but you were allowed to go on stage and dance with people. yeah and they would live stream the dance party mm-hmm. on facebook nightly yeah it which made was you a feel, good marketing yeah, ploy it made you feel included and it ran it ran for over a year uh-huh i and remember then came back for the summer of love summer of love i also remember i also remember when it was closing the fandom was like took to Times square to try to save it and i was like Guys, sometimes shows just close. And like yeah. this revival ran for over a year. That's great. Revivals uh-huh. don't usually run that long. Correct. They, they'll usually do really well for about four or five months. Business will start to slip and then they close up shop before they lose any more. Mm-hmm. To run over 500 performances is amazing. Yeah. Let it, let it, let it, let it be what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, let it be the be in. <laughs> it's also just interesting to see like, because that last cast launched, a lot of people mm-hmm. have come out of that last cast and gone on to like, really wonderful things i would love to know what like the next iteration of hair who that would be mm-hmm. and what it would launch because like now i'm thinking about like bonnie milligan and hair yeah oh yeah but she's a star now you know what she, i mean she is a star now she'll she, win a tony this year i'm pretty sure of it yeah it's, she's definitely the front runner uh-huh We're, it, it's we are recording this in early january mm-hmm. we don't know what's gonna go down you've just watched christmas in the square i have but i, <laughs> but, but I will I, I feel very confident saying that bonnie is a lock for a nomination yes. currently the front runner to win mm-hmm. obviously anything can happen i'm sure they're gonna add like a three-hour ballad for ruthie and miles and sweeney and now all of a sudden the beggar woman becomes the tony winning role but bonnie milligan is that. on my hit debut album Sure she is. Thank you. She sure is. Uh, Robbie. Yes. This has been lovely. This is amazing. This has been wonderful. I think we're at a good spot. Yeah. Before we start truly trailing off and oh, just going sure. into, Jennifer Lew- <laughs> into Jennifer Lewis's and Christine Baranski's careers. Uh-huh. Um, as you know, uh-huh. we've got a game. Yeah. Same game, different titles. Yep. Sure have not. I actually did not prep for this. Neither so. did I. Who Lives, but- Who Dies, Janine DeSori. And... <laughs> And six degrees of Sally Murphy. Sure. They are both just six degrees mm-hmm. of both women. Now, we have to go with the original production of Hair, I'm So Sorry, which means we have the original cast, the original creative team, and we have to connect it to both Janine DeSori and Sally Murphy. I will start with Tom O'Horgan directing, because uh-huh. we can't do replacements either. Sure. Tom O'Horgan directing. Uh-huh. Directed the original Jesus Christ Superstar. Sure. Which had, let's go with Ben Vereen. He's, he's famous. So Tom Horgan into Jesus Christ Superstar with Ben Vereen. Ben Vereen did Pippin mm-hmm. with, Fuck. careful how we try now. Okay, and ranking. She was in the ensemble of Pippin. Yes. Three. Uh-huh. 
and Ryan King. Sure. She started and choreographed in the revival of Chicago. Uh-huh. So that's four. Yes. And we have to get you to Sori or to Sally Murphy. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to get there. It's going to be difficult. I might have to go back. I'm going to go back. <laughs> I'm going back. Okay. Sure. We're going to try this again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Superstar. Superstar. <laughs> um, God damn it. Okay. Sorry. 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 Um, or Sally. Right. Yeah. But Sorry is the easier one. Sure. Because there's so many musicals. Yeah. Um. Okay. And Ben Vereen's been in so many things. Or like, no, because I can't be like, Shelley Plimpton gave birth to oh, Martha. Okay. I no, sorry, actually no. You know what? I've got a I've got a deep dive. Go. This is gonna get me to Sally. Okay. No, you've never been to Sally, but you've been to you. Yeah. <laughs> Galt McDermott is the composer of Hair. Yes. He also composed Two Gentlemen of Verona. Yes. Stalker Channing is in the original cast of uh, Two Gentlemen of Verona. Wow. I one of the, it's one of those random things that I just know. Uh huh. Stalker Channing was in the revival of Pal Joey. Yes. Directed by Joe Mantello. Uh-huh. Who directed the off-Broadway production of Man of No Importance with Sally Murphy. There we go. Bada bing, bada boom. That's Six Degrees of Sally Murphy. That's beautiful. Thank you. Janine DeSori, though. I don't know. Shit. Um, yeah, this is going to be hard. Uh, and not in, a, not in a good way. Not in a way that no. Gavin Creel can be here right now. Um, <laughs> Listener, he's sweating a little. Just, just, just a dewy. little. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. So we have to get to Tesori. Yeah. I'm trying to reverse engineer this in some way. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think about. Okay, maybe. Who is in that Twelfth Night that Tesori wrote the? Who was in it? Yeah, movie stars Paul Rudd, Helen Hunt, Philip Bosco, I believe. Kira Sedgwick. Ooh. Okay. Wait. Huh. Uh huh. I think we can get something. What? What you got? Hair. Yes. Um, fuck, what's her name? Um, uh... Mm-hmm. Annie Golden. Okay. Violet. Janine Tesori. But Annie Golden didn't do the original production of her. <gasps> fuck. No, but she did the film. She did do the film. Well, so can we do... Or what's another... How do we get to Annie Golden? I mean, well, so I, now I'm trying to get to... Great question. I, okay. <laughs> is there a Michael Bennett connection to hair in any way? That's that's where I'm kind of coming at. Great question. I don't think so. Because most of them were not trained anything. I know. But I have a feeling, at the very least... I, well, okay. Actually, no. You know what? You know what we can do. Tell you know me. Because if we're doing, if we, I, we can include production teams. Uh huh. The original production of Hair. Yes. Had a set design by Robin Wagner. Yes. One of his earliest set designs. Uh huh. He designed Coruscant and Dreamgirls. Yes. But we're gonna go with Dreamgirls. Okay. Designed Dreamgirls. Yes. Starring Cheryl Lee Ralph. Sure. Who was in Thoroughly Modern Millie, sure written was. by Janine Tesori. Oh. Bam! Wow. You did it, Joe. We did it, Joe. <laughs> no, you did it. I'm nobody. No, that's amazing. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very, I am so proud of myself. That was really hard. Yes. Gavin just left. That was really hard. Bye, anyway. Gav. Bye, Gav. Do you know that his home is called Hackle House? 
No. Yeah. Is he Hackle's people? No, Hackle. Oh, Hackle. Why Hackle? Cornelius. Oh, because he bought it with his Hello Dolly money? Yep. That, that'll do it. There's like a shingle hanging outside of it that says Hackle House. Like an upstate home? Yeah. He okay. lives next door to Patty Murin and Colin Donnell. That'll do it. That'll do it. Um, anywho, Robbie, where can people find you if you want them to find you? I'm so wildly findable at Diva Robbie, which was my AOL screen name when I was 16. Mm-hmm. That's just a cautionary fable in branding. Um, choose wisely, kids. Gypsy, a musical cautionary fable. Because <laughs> it can stick. Yes. Uh, I'm findable. I'm very streamable on the Spotify's mm-hmm. uh, for my semi-hit album, Songs from Inside My Locker, live at Fine Songs 54 Below. Songs from Inside My Locker. Yeah. It's, a good, uh, it's, it's fun. It's a it's fun, fun time. Yeah. It's a fun time. Actually, the last time I was on the pod, we were fundraising for it. So Look how far you've come, baby. Yeah. It's, it's all here. It's all happening. You um, lost 130 pounds, and his name was John. Um, <laughs> 140. Come on. He's <laughs> tall. True. He's he tall. is tall. He is very tall. I love him so much. <laughs> um, actually, he and I are supposed to get dinner soon. I have to like actually set a date for that. Oh, Thank you for reminding me. Love you, baby. Uh, mm. If you guys like the pod, rate, review, subscribe. Five stars. Five stars. Give us a nice little rating. I yeah. read a lovely one for the Love Ballad Compassion episode. You can find me at Matt Koplik, usual spelling on Instagram and Instagram only. Yep. Uh, check back next week for I don't know what because this whole thing is out of order and it's a whole thing. It's uh, a lot of stuff. Like you threw me like 10 titles. I know. And I already and that is saying something because I have already had half of the shows covered. So It's wild. Yeah. Getting us through at least through the Tonys. Um, Got to do something. To- you truly doing the lord's contracts work uh <laughs> i will punch you so <laughs> i'm trying to think who we should have close us out i think we got to go with the diva herself miss melba moore yeah do yeah, it gotta Done. do it yeah all right she got love she got so much love you know i saw her as fontina lemas there was also another like jennifer hudson melba moore crossover because jennifer or jennifer saying i got love on mm-hmm. smosh she shorts yad yeah and it's just it's gorge all around. It's beautiful. But it's beautiful. What a time to be alive. What a what a wonderful time. To you look saw around. her in Les Mis? I saw her in Les Mis, yeah. Oh she I was five years old. <laughs> my parents took me to say Les Mis when I was five. They and... said, What about this nap? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was I was awake the entire time. But I remember I remember seeing uh I remember seeing Melba. It was it was a time. But yeah. So anyway, join us back next week guys for God knows what. And until then, enjoy Miss Moore if you're nasty. Take us away, Melbs. Bye. Bye. <laughs> wondered how your favorite performer actually feels well here's your chance welcome to the quiet part out loud with me bobby steggert broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of broadway creatives part interview part therapy this is not your typical podcast we'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists what they still struggle with what lessons they've learned what they haven't figured out yet there's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud are you listening 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.